the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Okay, so as I listen to the weather forecast, and, you know, I got my got my smartphone and I was looking at it and it's, it, it's been changing the weather advisory as we've been going through today. It started off with looking like three inches. Now it's down to one or two inches possible. I, I'm, they keep hedging your bets, so to speak. So that tells, and I'm watching the color radar and it doesn't look like the snow is, is over into Arkansas up in the northern part of the counties. And in fact, almost to the northeast with Jonesboro, but coming down to central Arkansas, does I don't see it making it down here because I'm looking at it. Have you been looking at it, Russ? I looked at it and it looks like behind it. I'm trying not to think about it right now, Dave. It, it, <laughs> it dies out behind it. It just dies out behind it. There's not. A whole lot of like in in uh, Kansas and stuff. I'm not seeing a bunch of snow back there. It just gave it up, gave up the ghost, ran out of moisture or something. So I don't know. You know, I'm I'm thinking this is a half a gallon, maybe a loaf of bread. You might want to. That's maybe what you want to pick up. I don't know. I have no idea. I I just know some people hear snow and they. You know, if you go to Kroger or to Walmart or to Harps or wherever you go, be ready to stand in line because everybody panics. You got to have milk, got to have bread. Well, if you're going to get milk and bread, at least get syrup and get some eggs and maybe even some cinnamon, you know, make some, uh, make some French toast in the morning. There you go. Milk sandwiches, not real good. No, I'm not a big fan of milk sandwiches. All right. That other voice you're hearing right now, that is State Representative Stephen Meeks. I uh, asked, uh, well, we were talking, and I I asked him to join us today because there's so much questioning going on about what's going to happen uh, with the budget because special session starts February 12th. Fiscal session. The fiscal session. I'm sorry. Not special. Fiscal. Uh, You know? Fiscal money. Yeah. They're going to talk money. It's but, always special when they get together. It is. That's it true. Really, it true, true is because you never know exactly what might happen. They say it's all about money, but sometimes the governor or somebody else thinks, no, I think we should, maybe we should pass a, some tobacco legislation mm-hmm. or something. So just keep in mind that anything can change at any moment when you get a bunch of people together. together. Yep. So with, with that in mind though, uh, there's been a lot of questions. There's been a lot of things talked about. Let me remind everybody that Thursday at two o'clock, going to have an interesting one-on-one debate here in the studio. 
State Senator Brian King is going to be here along with J.R. Davis, the governor's spokesman, mm-hmm. and they're going to debate each other. Brian has been an ongoing uh, ringing the bell, saying that the governor has not been telling everybody the whole truth, nothing but the mm-hmm. truth. J.R. says that's not true, and so they're going to get on the air, and they're going to hopefully answer that question once and for all. It should be interesting. It, yeah, between the two of yep. them, that should be interesting. Yes. I'm going to just be the moderator. I get yep. to sit back and, and listen, you know, yep. at, and as you do, yep. the, the listeners. I'll just make sure people don't call each other names. They stay on their respective sides of the mm-hmm. table, and um, they treat each other with respect. There you go. That's the big. That's the big deal for me. So, Stephen, let, let's start off with you. You've been on this committee, the budget committee, you said for a, a long time. Right. Um, as uh, I think many of your listeners know, I, I am the senior member of the House of Representatives. Uh, I've served seven years, and uh, I've been on the budget committee since uh, since the beginning. Wow. So, you were lucky. You got yep. one of the big committees right off the bat. Yep. And that's thanks to my seniority, which is thanks to my brother. So Okay. Well, that's good, too. Yep. So here's the question. As you look at the budget, as it's being put together, what's your thoughts about it? Um, I, what I'd like to do, if I can, is let me back up and talk about the fiscal session, about how we get to where we're at and why the fiscal session is important, and, okay. then, and, then, yeah. and then get into the specifics. So it kind of lays out the groundwork. That's why I have you here. So back in 2016, in the summer of 2016, all the state agencies, uh, commissions, boards, yada, yada, they developed their uh, budgets for the biennium. That... Uh, Budgets would start in the summer of 2017. State mm-hmm. fiscal session runs July through through June, so they're working their budgets in 2016 for but for you know the time period that starts in summer of 2017 runs through 2018. So this is the first year of the biennium, and then they do a second one for starting this summer 2018 through 2019. So in the summer of 2016, you have state agencies that are trying to budget out for things that are going to happen as far in the future as the summer of 2019, which, as you know, it, it, you can forecast that, but there's obviously always going to be changes. So they make their budgets. They present those to us in the fall of 2016 in the fall budget hearings, and that's when we do the real uh, close inspection as a legislature of the budget is when we look at those biannual budgets. The, once those appropriations are set, if you will, they're passed in the winter of 2017. So when we do the General Assembly, um, you know, March, April, those are all passed. The revenue stabilization is passed so that those budgets will begin in summer of 2017. So what we do now here in the fiscal session is we're taking a second look at the budgets that are going to start in 2018. So these are going to be budgets that people forecasted in 2016 that are going to start in 2018. So we're, this is what we're taking a look at is, so, but the primary purpose of it is just to take a high level overview, not to dig real deep into it, but just to take a high level overview and make any tweaks to better match what the reality is versus what the forecast was. Okay. So let me ask this question because I had, I had uh, state representative David Meeks on your brother mm-hmm. last week, mm-hmm. and he's not part of the uh, budget committee but he is part of another committee right legislative council okay and they make some decisions as well correct correct uh this is part of one of those nuances of law the joint budget committee is technically only supposed to meet when we're in session so when we're not in session and we're doing these pre-budget hearings it's the arkansas legislative council 
with the Joint Budget Committee because the Arkansas Legislative Council is the one that has the authority when we're in the interim. So we're meeting jointly with them. So that's my brother's on Legislative Council. So that's how he and I both end up sitting in on these budget hearings. Okay. And then they made some decisions last week, Mm -hmm. and David was upset that he couldn't – in the House side, the Republicans seemed to come through, but on Mm -hmm. the Senate side, they, like, phoned it in and didn't do anything. Right, right. I mean, is there that big of a difference between the thought process of what's going on in the in the state House of Representatives and what's going on in the state Senate? Sometimes, yes. Um, one of the bigger frustrations for me is you see the possibilities to make some changes to do some good, and they don't happen. And that's the same frustration that my brother felt and several of the conservatives, uh, because there there there's two th- thought processes that were preventing this from happening we can get into the details about what we were trying to do one is this is the fiscal session and suppose so what we're supposed to be doing is we're only supposed to be making tweaks if tweaks are necessary right if and we're only looking at the big six agencies so we're, we're there's two health agencies two ed agencies and two department of corrections agencies we only look at those big six because those are the big ticket items the other boards commissions agencies, you know state police geological survey you know Department of Emergency Management, we don't even take a look at those um, unless there's something specific that comes up with them. We primarily just focus on those big six. And so one thought process is unless there's something major or some important reason to change something, we shouldn't change it. So that was one of the, the reasons why some of them didn't want to change. The other thought process, and this is one that probably aggravates me the most, is there seems to be a thought among some of my colleagues. It's almost like we have to get permission from the agency before we make these changes. And I want to clarify, there's a difference between getting with the agencies to make sure that what we do doesn't take away from their ability to do what they're supposed to do. There's a difference between do no harm and being a responsible lawmaker and being a leader. And one of the things that frustrates me is it seems like, you know, a change I tried to make back last year was to reduce the travel budget for the Department of Environmental Quality by 20%. Their spending authority. I wasn't taking any money away. I was reducing their spending authority by 20%. Okay, explain. Okay, that's an important difference. So, when we meet with the budget hearings, we get basically three sets of numbers. We get the amount of money they actually spent. We get a list of what they what they themselves budgeted. And then the last item is what they're authorized to, to spend. So, for example, on this uh, budget that I'm talking about, about this travel budget, the agency may have budgeted, say, $100,000. I have no idea what it was, but just to keep the numbers simple, they may have budgeted $100,000. They may have... Uh, spent maybe only thirty or forty thousand dollars because they didn't need it all, and then they may be authorized one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. So the hundred thousand dollars is what they think they will spend. We have authorized them to spend up to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Typically, we leave them a little bit of headroom there because of unforeseen circumstances. You know, for example, you never know if an air conditioning is going to go out or some unforeseen event is going to come up. So. We want to leave them a little wiggle room for that because if not, then they're going to keep coming back to us for every little thing, and you know that's not what we want to happen. So we usually leave them a little wiggle room. 
But what happened in this case is they budgeted $100,000, they spent $30,000, and they had $150,000 worth of appropriation. Way more spending authority than they even budgeted or needed. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to bring it, well, let's bring it back to $120,000 and put it more in line with what reality is versus just giving them a blank check. Right. And a lot of my colleagues, we did eventually get it done, but a lot of them were of the mind, well, do you have permission from the agency to do that? Is it going to be okay with them if we do this? Wait a second. And my thought is. So what? If they don't think so. I mean, you're the guys who make the call. We're supposed to be the leaders, and unfortunately, we don't always act like it. So, And, and, and that frustrates the, the dickens out of me. Isn't that, isn't that one of the problems that you have is that if you have people that they say, whoever is the head of a department or the people who come and speak to you from those departments, that what they say is gospel and can't even be challenged? And, and the eyes of some of my colleagues, that seems to be the case. Uh, and like I said, and it, it frustrates me to no end that we're asking them permission yet. We're supposed to be the leaders. Now, some of my colleagues said, well, you know, go get all the data and make sure that your change is backed up by, you know, studies. And why do we need a study? If they only spent $30,000, they're only budgeting a hundred thousand dollars and they've got all this extra spending authority that they don't need. Why do we need to have? So what happened the other day? that uh, my brother was talking about uh, was with the health department. They had, if I remember the numbers here correctly, they had budgeted $79 million for what they thought they would spend, mm-hmm. $75, 70, somewhere in there. They had actually only spent $69 million. Okay. The appropriation amount Good for them. Yeah. So they, they had spent less than they had budgeted, which is something we always like to see. They had, uh, requested, uh, I think like 79 or so, but the spending authority that we were going to give them was 82 million. So what, uh, representative Dotson, and he's one of the good guys on the committee that is, you know, with, along with me and my brother and several others, representative Kavanaugh has been getting in on this here lately too. So that's good trying to dial some of these things back and get them in a little bit more in line with what's going on. And so he made the motion, well, let's dial it from 82 back to 79. So we're going to drop it $3 million, still $10 million worth of headroom there in case of emergencies or in case they get additional federal funding. And so he made the motion to let's do that along with some other tweaks to try to bring, uh, I think there's like five or six items that he wanted to bring more in line with what was going on. So as soon as uh, he did that, Representative Chester, excuse me, Senator Chesterfield jumped up with a substitute motion, just executive wrecked. Basically, we're going to go with what had been laid out, and we we're going to completely ignore what uh, Jim had. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, well, let me back up. I'm telling the story wrong. Representative um, Vaught made a motion to limit one line, one line item. Senator Chesterfield said, no, let's just do executive rec and we're going to give him everything. And then Representative Dotson said, no, he's going to substitute the substitute and do five things to bring them more in line. And that's the the motion that we had to deal with first was a substitute to the substitute to the substitute. And this is how this stuff gets confusing real quickly. Yeah, I understand that. Right. And then the lawmakers, of course, everyone wants to put their two cents in. So the chair goes around, lets everyone give their thoughts on why we should do this or that. And that's how you learn. 
you know, about these different thought processes about, you know, some don't want to do it because we're, this is the fiscal session. We should only be tweaking if there's a, a major change. Well, that's why some didn't want to do it. Some didn't want to do it because, well, we haven't checked with the agency to see what their thoughts were to, in essence, you know, get their okay. And uh, so we did that for a while. There was a call for immediate consideration, which when that happens, all debate gets cut off and you go immediately to the vote. So we do the immediate consideration, but then Representative Lowry or one of the other ones said, no, the chair said Representative Dotson was going to have the opportunity to close for his motion. So then we took a roll call on the immediate consideration to undo that. So that way discussion could continue. So that way Representative Dotson could give his close. So we, so we, so he got to do that. He gave his close and uh, we got ready to do the vote while Senator Chesterfield called for division of the house. What the division of the house means. Okay is instead of the whole committee voting and, you know, the the A's or the nays uh, ruling, what they do is the House votes separately and the Senate votes separately. And in order for the motion to carry, both the House and the Senate have, have, got, to, agree. have to agree. And if they don't, then the motion fails. And that's exactly what happened. The House, it passed overwhelmingly. The Senate, uh, there were actually several senators that were absent, and it failed. All right. I want you to... Hold your thought. Okay. We're going to take a break and we'll come back because I, I understand there were some Republicans there, mm-hmm. but none of them voted with the, basically with the Republicans that were over on the house side. And some did, some didn't. Let's talk about that. All right. Nine, eight, two, seven, four, five, one. Let's, uh, hope you'll write that number down. That's nine, eight, two, seven, four, five, one. That's the number for Sonny's auto salvage. They're your number one choice recycled auto parts a big misunderstanding a lot of people have about sunnies is that they just do little stuff you know if you want a you know a let's say a front end assembly or you want a bumper or something like that you get that from sunnies well let me just tell you over at sunnies you can get a transmission for your car from a well-maintained total loss vehicle and they will also put it in to your car for you they'll give you up to a three-year a warranty, parts and labor, and unlimited mileage. I know that for a fact because I just had a, uh, a a transmission put in my 2009 Corolla and did exactly that. I figure three years for the price that they were going to charge me was uh, very reasonable. And uh, in the end, uh, they ended up saving me about 750 bucks uh, on that transmission. Val Emmons, who fills in for me from time to time, went through Sonny's auto salvage, had a Durango, had to have a new engine put in, had the engine put in at Sonny's, saved her over a thousand bucks. You need to go and check out what's going on with Sonny's before you do anything else. I'm just telling you, they do the work. They give you the warranty, unlimited mileage on that warranty. They're a great, great business at Sonny's auto salvage. Your number one choice for recycled auto parts, call them. Nine eight two seven four five one. Now everything is on computer, and if they don't have it at Sunny's, they're hooked up to thousands of other salvage yards. They can find that part for you, have it shipped into Sunny's. They will cover it as if it's from their own yard. Can't beat that deal. Nine eight two seven four five one. You know, I talk about Joel Johnson over at PI Roofing often because he is a great businessman. And he treats his customers as though they were like members of his own family. And uh, 
That's what he's done here recently with PI Roofing. He has expanded PI Roofing now to be PI Roofing and Home Solutions. Here's what he did. He knew that he was coming out to, you know, countless homes and fixing their roofs and leaks that were happening. But he also knew that as the water, water got into your house, if you had one of those leaks, it did other damage as well. Maybe drywall, maybe just stains, maybe mold, all kinds of things that can go bad when water gets into your, into your home. And he also knew how tough it is for you to go out and find the contractors necessary to paint, to do drywall and a lot of these other types of uh, repairs. So he went out and hired people for his home solution side. And now when you have PI roofing come out and fix your roof and keep the water from getting in, you just talk directly to them and they have the people that can go in and do the interior painting, do the drywall repair, uh, the, the mold uh, extraction, exterior painting if you need it, carpentry work, uh, the insulation that may have been destroyed, all of that they can take care of. So not only now are they the place to go uh, to get your roof repaired, they're also the place to go to get your house into 100% uh, stead again. So from now on, when you uh, think of PI roofing for your roof, think about them for all the damage that may have been uh, have occurred because of the leak that came through that hole or leak in your roof. Just go to piroofing.com. They're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Call them at 687-6246, and uh, someone live will answer your call if you're getting water in your house because of a leak in your roof at that time, tell them that they'll dispatch somebody to you as quickly as they possibly can get them to your home so they can tarp up your roof and stop that damage from occurring. That's PI roofing and home solutions. Our guest here on the Dave Ellswick show here in this first hour is a Stephen Meeks. Stephen is a state representative. He is on the budget committee. He's been talking to you and kind of explaining to you how this whole process works and kind of how convoluted it, mm-hmm. it can get at times. So I'm going to let you pick up where you left off in that last half hour. Okay. So where we left off was the uh, motion to limit all these line items to, to dial them back a little bit, to be a little bit more what we thought was reasonable. Um, there was a division of the house called and overwhelmingly passed in the house but failed on the senate side there were some yeses but there were not enough to um prevail okay so since the substitute of the substitute failed we went back one so it went back to senator chesterfield's just executive rec motion so and that is just accept as the governor suggested right and go with that correct which is what we were trying to dial back and uh so I got with Representative Payton, who sits beside me, and said, well, two can play at that game. And we called for division of the House on that motion. And, of course, it failed in the House and passed in the Senate. <laughs> you know, so we flipped it on them. Okay. So then it goes back to Representative Vaught's original motion, which is just to limit that one line item, which that one failed. So now we're in a situation where the health department still has no budget approved by us. And the choice that we have at this point is we can do nothing. And if we do nothing, then staff is not authorized to prepare their appropriations 
until the start of the fiscal session. And what can happen at the start of the fiscal session is the joint budget chairman can just file those appropriations themselves at the executive recommended level, which is what they would do just by default. Okay. And uh, so the choices that we had were basically just go with the executive rec or do nothing, which would in essence end up going with the executive recommendation. But in order for us to go with the executive recommendation, since that vote had failed, we would have had to expunge the vote by which it failed and then revote it. Instead, what the budget chairs decided to do is, besides the executive recommendation, there's also a legislative recommendation. The legislative recommendation generally mirrors the executive one. It's what the staff prepares based upon all the stuff, you know, all the history. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes there's some minor changes, but what we decided to do, what they decided to do was just to vote the, the legislative recommendation out, and that's, in the end, what we ended up having to do. Okay. That was one of those, you know, we – we lost the argument. There, there was no other alternatives there. Now that doesn't mean once we get into the budget, once we get into the fiscal session, we can take another stab at it. But barring okay, that, and at that time, you may have more Republicans sitting on that committee. How, how, how lopsided was the vote in the Senate? Um, I think they were about half short of what they needed. Okay. Was, were there that many Republicans missing from that meeting? There were three or four, I think. I've slept okay. since then, but yeah. yeah. So yeah. maybe not enough missing to make up for the number that you needed. Probably not. But you might have time to go back to talk to Republicans that are sitting right. over in the Senate mm-hmm. and get them to change their mind. Right, right. Because in essence, what we're talking about is that, that $3 million that we were trying to, to dial them back, that's headroom for them if uh, you know if they get an extra federal grant or since we're talking about the health department, say there was an uh, an epidemic broke out and they needed more resources, that headroom gives them the ability to react on that and not have to wait until they come to us. So we want them to have some of that headroom. That doesn't mean they're going to get that extra money. But at the same token, I don't think they need $15 million worth of headroom when $10 million worth goes. Yeah, I agree with that. Because by the same token, while it can be, while it's important to leave that headroom there for them, it could also be abused. And our job as legislators is to try to make sure that doesn't happen where possible. So if, you know, something came up, they needed that $5 million worth of headroom for something, they could come to us, explain why they needed it. And if we felt it justified, then later we could give it to them. Okay. So let me, let me take you to what I had uh, your brother on about, and that was about two specific issues. mm -hmm. All right. One being uh, the smoking sensation Mm -hmm. line. And the other being uh, the whole thing about the trauma center. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trauma center was that evidently the health department wanted $24 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, 22 would have done the job mm-hmm. without any problem whatsoever. And so you guys weren't able to, to dial that back. Now, was the 24 approved by the governor? So you. Right. That, that's, part of, that's part of his. Uh, that's part of his executive recommendation. Um, you know, as they do those, they, they look at the base numbers, what they budgeted, what the request is from the agency, and then they also look at things like, uh, you know, inflation, uh, population growth in the state, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And then they calculate a certain amount of headroom, and that's where they wind up with their final number. Some of it is historical. You know, historically they've wanted that much. 
but they've never spent that much. And so it makes sense. So why sense. do they need that much? Right. So it, it makes sense to dial back. And the motion that Representative Dotson made that we had the original fight over, that the, the, the trauma center and the smoke and cessation were two of the other line items that we were looking to dial back to be a little more within line with what their spending was. Okay. Now, the smoking cessation, I asked you about that because it was like $9 million. Mm-hmm. And from what I understood, we're, we were looking at like 13 to maybe 15,000 calls during the course of the year mm-hmm. came in that it was like six, you know, anywhere from, I would say five to six seventy five, uh, not dollars, mm-hmm. hundreds, hundreds of dollars, a, a call, mm-hmm. which means that it's not cost effective. Right. But you were saying you had to look at this a different way as mm-hmm. well. Right. Explain how that all works. Right. Um, that, well, again, it goes back to the, um, authorization is not what they're actually spending. So that's the the difference there. Just because they're authorized to spend $15 million doesn't mean they're spending $15 million. Most times they never hit that spending limit because if they do, they either have to come to us or um, they have to try to find it in another appropriation. I'll give you a, 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 for instance, the uh, department of corrections, uh, the economy is doing well. And because the economy is doing well, there are less people want to work in prisons. Okay. So the people that do work there, they get a lot more overtime pay and holiday pay because there's fewer staff members and they've, you know, those guys have got to be there. And what ends up happening in there over there is their, um, personnel expenses exceeded what their authorized appropriation was. So in order to make sure these guys get paid, they have to go to other buckets to get it. And that's something that we're hoping to, you know, we want to make sure these guys get paid. So, um, but that rarely, that hitting that line rarely ever happens. Um, and then the, the, uh, money that's used for the smoking cessation hotline is not taxpayer money. It's a special revenue. The, the money we got from the, uh, the tobacco settlement money, obviously it still came from the public, but it's not sales tax or whatnot. Okay. So it, that money that came from the tobacco settlements when the states all sued the tobacco companies, that money is sitting in a in a pot. It draws interest, and that interest is the the main funding source for that account. Um, I've heard the actual numbers. It's been several months, um, and I I can't recall the exact cost per call, but I know it's nowhere near the five or six hundred dollar cost. Um, it was 10, 10, 12. I mean, it, 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 it was well under a hundred dollars per call. It wasn't okay. five or $600 by, by the time you, because that hotline has other, that money goes to other things besides just taking calls. And they've talked to us about some of the successes and they have had some success with it. Um, could it go to other things? Probably maybe. Um, but one of the, challenges you run into a lawmaker is there's only so much time in the day and you start digging into okay how how deep do we want to dig into this agency and micromanage them or do we want to dig into the school budget or higher ed budget you know the the smoking cessation hotline i think is 10 million dollars where you've got dhs that they're spending one point you know seven billion dollars mm-hmm. higher ed spending two billion Right. Yeah. Is our time better spent digging it right? And that's one of the challenges that you run into as a lawmaker is trying to, okay, where do we need to focus our attention on to try to find these savings? Because even if we dial that back some, we're just limiting their spending authority. 
they can still go out and do the hotline. They just may not be able to put as many people there. So if we dialed that hotline back to, you know, say they're spending $10 million and we dialed them back to $5 million, well, they could still spend the $5 million on the hotline. The only way we could stop it would be to convince the director to stop it or we'd have to pass a law, which obviously we're not going to do that during the fiscal session. All right. We're going to take another break. This gets, it gets convoluted. And very complicated. It It gets complicated. But you need to hear the truth and you need to hear what's going on. And uh, the representative just made a, a valid point, and that is there's not enough hours in a day and in, there's not enough legislators there to dig into everything as right. deeply as they need to be done. That, that's why right. you got to dial back government. You got to mm-hmm. make government smaller so that you can get it under control. Hey, don't forget about Lewis Family Beef. Now, State Representative uh, Meeks will know what I'm talking about when I say Cody and Sarah Lewis and uh, their ranch or or farm up there in the Greenbrier area. They've been an advertiser now with us for a little over a month. They've gotten really good response from you giving them a call and asking them questions, and I hope you'll keep that up because what they sell is they sell you clean beef. Every cow that is raised on the Lewis family farm or ranch, I'm going to just call it a ranch, uh, is born and raised on their ranch. Uh, they don't give them any antibiotics. They don't give them any hormones. If they do have to give antibiotics because there's some kind of physical problem, that, that cow never gets sold to be consumed. They also raise their cattle stress-free. And I know that sounds kind of bizarre, but the more I've studied about it now and that they've been, the cow is left out, you know, grazing and, and taking it easy as they're uh, fattening themselves up, you find that there's less stress hormones released in their bodies. So their meat is more tender. Now with the Lewis family uh, farm and beet and, and the ranch, you can buy a quarter of a cow, a half of a cow or a whole cow. Then you're turned over to the packing house. The packing house is going to talk to you. They're going to find out how you want your meat uh, proportionally divided up, you know, how much hamburger you want, how much uh, steaks, and uh, what kinds of steaks, how thick you want those steaks, all of that. You're going to make the call on all of that. Once they've been cut into that and flash frozen, then uh, the Lewis family folks will be contacted, and they'll deliver that beef right to your home. To get the whole story and how much it runs and all of that, all you have to do is go to the Lewis Family Beef's uh, Facebook account. That's Facebook.com, Lewis Family Beef. Facebook.com, Lewis Family Beef. And don't forget to go to the New Balance store over on uh, Highway 10 on Cantrell because they will measure your feet digitally there. That means you'll know exactly how long they are. Plus, you'll know exactly what the width of your foot is because if you can't match both of those up you got some problems coming you're going to get an uncomfortable uh, shoe uh, they stock children's shoes now in extra wide widths and for uh, men and women they stock new balance shoes in 2a narrow all the way up to 6e wide get yourself a good pair of comfortable shoes get the right width get the white length or the right length so that you can go to work and be comfortable, that you can get out and, uh, you know, run or walk or whatever you do for exercise in the evening and do it in a comfortable 
of fashion. And also, don't forget, it's the only New Balance store in Little Rock that makes custom footbeds that give you ultimate comfort. That's the New Balance store on Highway 10 or Cantrell in West Little Rock. They're down there kind of around uh, the Sonic and, and the Kroger over there. That, that's where you'll find them. Stop by and see them. they got good people there. They'll take real good care of you. All right, final few moments here with uh, State Representative Stephen Meeks. Good to have him in the studio. I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, I know, you know, he took a little bit of heat uh, from uh, the Arkansas Times when it was found out that uh, he was, uh, of course, uh, delivering pizzas at night. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, to me, that's, that's, that's no big deal because I delivered pizzas at one time uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, mm-hmm. when I was working uh, at a small station in Lexington. Uh, delivering pizzas can make you some pretty good money and, yeah. and, and it's helping you dig out of debt. Is that yep. right? Yep. Um, many of your listeners will uh, uh, know about Dave Ramsey's and his uh, baby steps. Right. And uh, so uh, my wife and I decided we were going to get on that program and follow it. And uh, I was looking for a part-time job. And it has to be something that allows me to do my legislative duties. And right. primarily nights and weekends. And one of the things Dave always talked about on his program was go out and deliver pizzas at night. So, uh, okay. That's a, I'm going to tell you what, that's kind of a well-kept secret yeah you can make good money delivering mm-hmm. uh delivering pizzas that's what i did yeah and then if you can write that stuff off your taxes all that mileage you can mm-hmm. write that off yep. yeah you, i mean you can make it's almost like making tax-free money yeah yeah and for a minimum wage job quote unquote that's what i make minimum wage right. when i'm in the restaurant uh but when you add tips in it's 10 15 dollars an hour is what it averages yeah. out to be so it's pretty good it, money it can be pretty good uh, extra money and like i said it's i've paid off all my cars and got out of debt the only thing i've got left is the house so wow yep congratulations well, that's yep. a great that's yep. a great success yep. story been working on it for two and a half years now so you, you did you just take all the money you were making at the pizza part and just turn it into all your debt is that mm-hmm. what you did yep. yep did you do the snowball yep that he talks about yep, yep. sure did Start off with the smallest, pay it off, and then yep. take whatever you paid on the that one and work, put it on the next biggest. Yep. Very good. Yep. So we're we're slowly getting there. You feeling pretty good about it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it uh obviously there's still got a house to pay off and uh what you know, just almost like everybody else, but yeah. Uh you know, all the everyday expenses like everyone, you know, the electric bill, which I'm sure we're all gonna have higher electric bills this month because of how cold it's been. Yep. Uh, but uh having that extra two to three hundred dollars a month, you know, that you know that adds up over time and starts to make a difference and now if i you know we're might want to make some improvements around the house we've got a little extra money where we can we can do that so contrary to popular belief you do not get rich being a state representative well, i know that okay i understand right, that yeah. let me let me ask you a question of you the all these 16 different people from eastern arkansas mm-hmm. that have been uh, caught with these feeding programs that weren't really feeding programs they were just milking this money mm-hmm. it was that it was that money being paid to them out of the federal government or was it federal dollars coming through the state government and coming back to them uh if it's a feeding program it probably came through funnel through state government i don't know the specifics of that particular case but uh, generally that's how those programs work most of the time okay so we can give kudos to some of the state people who have been catching these people, mm-hmm. you know, 
fraud, waste, and abuse. I mean, mm. think you know, we always talk about this, and a lot of people want to. There's, there's some legislation. Oh, there ain't no. There's not that big of fraud, waste, and abuse. Well, I guess then, one point three million dollars for one mm. person, and there were sixteen of them. Is uh, they don't think that's big money. If you right. take one point three, multiply it by sixteen, it's probably yeah. bigger. It's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. We have a legislative audit department that uh, their role is to audit all state agencies and uh, schools, counties, municipalities. I've been on that uh, for a number of years now, and that's their role is to look for stuff like that. And so if you want to get enlightened about stuff that's going on in the state, come to one of those audit meetings, and yeah, it'll it'll raise the hair on the back of your neck, some of the things you find. But just by human nature, and I don't know how much time we've got here left, but uh, – Got a minute. Got a minute. Okay. Government – all government purchases are third-party purchases. It means, and this is something I wish I could flesh out more, but it means they're buying things with money that's not theirs to consume uh, for things they will not consume. So they're going to buy things they're not going to consume. So because of that, when we're buying things that we're not going to consume, we don't care as much about the quality or the price as if it was me buying it for me individually. Correct. And because of that, that's human nature. There's always going to be some degree of waste, fraud, and abuse. And one of our goals as legislature legislators is to as humanly possible try to keep on that as best we can all right well we'll have you on again we'll have you on during the special session we'll be over at the capitol sounds good I look forward we'll to see it. you then all thank right, you thanks, very Dave. much state representative Stephen meeks here on the dave ellswick show matt hurt coming up americans for prosperity next listen up veterans if you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the va this benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care as we get older we may need the assistance of others and this va benefit is designed to help pay for that call me i'm kimbrough stephen in my law firm the juris law group specializes in helping folks get this much needed benefit commonly referred to as aid and attendance if you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T, lawgroup.com call us at 501-482-50 or google me kimbro stevens and we look forward to hearing from you all right russ i know that you're not as big of a baseball guy as i am but uh this just breaking the san francisco giants have just acquired andrew mccutcheon from the pits <laughs> from the pittsburgh pirates that's a surprise didn't hear didn't didn't see that one coming did you yeah so that's going to be it's going to be interesting to say the least. It's going to be very very interesting. Uh, I think catchers and pitchers report in about four weeks for spring training. I'm ready for baseball, brother. Because I'm about 83 days away from the uh, opening of the season here in Central Arkansas. Well, that would be pretty close to what's ever going to happen in major leagues too. You know. So bottom line is this: is that I can't wait. That's the best way I can put it. I. You know, be a Cub fan now. It's, yeah, you can't wait to not, lose again? It's not false hope. Can't wait to – as a Cardinal fan, I wouldn't be saying that too loud, all right, about uh, the losing part. <laughs> keep, keep talking. <laughs> I do. I am now. I'm for, for a change, I get to talk about it as far as winning goes. All right, let's get – Matt Hurt is here. He is with the Grassroots Leadership Academy with uh, Americans for Prosperity. 
and we're going to talk a little bit with him. Uh, I want to remind you that tonight, big night uh, over at the uh, the barbecue place, Ho Hog, over on Markham, starts at what, 6? Starts at 6. 6 yes, o'clock. So uh, I've already told Elizabeth to save me a seat. I'll be over there as soon as I can get out of the studio and make my way over there. But uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Let me just ask you something, Matt. When you talk to people now about economics, because that's what you zero in on, mm-hmm. do you even use the word capitalism anymore? You know, I think that in my personal capacity, I try to use the, the phrase free enterprise. Yes. Uh, because I think I think politicians have have, have ruined the, the term capitalism. Uh, and what we see in state capitals in Washington oftentimes is not capitalism. No, it's corporatism. Mm-hmm, we see a lot of that. And here, the bad part is, is that the people who would probably be great believers in capitalism don't have a viable definition to work with. And they think what they're seeing going on where a company comes in and says, you know what? Yeah, we think that we should have national health care. And guess what? We'll help you write the law and it won't bother us all that much. We'll give up some money. But our competition, they can't do it as well as we can, so it's really going to cost them. A, a state senator from Montana a couple of years ago when I was out there doing training said that when, when he's in session in, in the state capitol, nobody comes to him to ask for fewer regulations, fewer taxes, uh, fewer government programs, unless they are Americans for Prosperity or Americans for Prosperity Foundation activists. That makes sense. I mean, that makes sense to me. I've, I've worked with AFP now. Gosh, I got to go back. I think it's 2004, 2005, somewhere in that area when Teresa Oki was running the ship here for a while. And, and we had some other great folks in there and they brought Andrew Breitbart in several times. And I got to know Andrew and, um, you know, it's, it's, they really believe in freedom for capitalists, you know? And Dave, one of the great things, particularly about the Grassroots Leadership Academy in in states like Arkansas, where I'm from, in Tennessee, uh, is we have folks who are who are they're conservative or libertarian or they believe in small government, and and we're providing those opportunities not only to educate them, but to educate their friends and neighbors in in what I jokingly term a safe space, you know, in, in these in these trainings like tonight at the Whole Hog out out right, west of town, right. uh, and it's it's been a, an absolute blast to see what people can do when they learn about the principles of, of free enterprise and of a free and open society and how they can go and change their community and change their state. So you tell me, is, is it just because, and I'm, I'm going to zero in on the millennials. I've got my snowflake here in, in the <laughs> studio that they've just not been taught. I've got to believe it's that they are ignorant of what free markets do because if they knew what capitalism and free markets have done of raising people out of poverty, there's no possible way they could be against it. And, and that's exactly what we're hitting on tonight. And, and what I've seen on campus, you know, I graduated in 2009 and working with college students for, for a while, uh, it's not being taught. Uh, however, there are organizations, there are tremendous organizations like Generation Opportunity Institute, uh, Young Americans for Liberty, that are providing resources to students that teach them about uh, you know, Western philosophy, classical liberalism, free enterprise and capitalism. And they're going out and some of them are staying in higher ed. They're getting their advanced degrees and becoming professors. Good for them. And and some of them are going out and creating value in the marketplace. All right. So tonight uh, for the meeting that we're having tonight over at Whole Hog, that's going to be at six o'clock. Uh, 
it's free to come to. It's absolutely free. All right. So should they go to Eventbrite to, to sign in, or can they just show up now? You can just show up. I mean, we would appreciate it if, if you went to Eventbrite and, and found the event and registered beforehand. Uh, we will get you registered if you if you show up, you run out of time, and you can't register at home. We'll get all that squared away. All you have to do is, is come hungry, and, uh, and and we'll talk about what, what free enterprise looks like, what prosperity looks like, not only in the United States but across the globe. Now, what, wait a second. Are you telling me that you're going to feed me whole hog barbecue tonight? Look, I will go anywhere for pulled pork, uh, anywhere across the country. <laughs> and and being, being right here, I'm going to have some. Uh, and, and it's one of those things where we understand that when people come out, when volunteers or activists come out to our events, they're putting aside whatever they're doing at home. They're, they're maybe leaving work early or they're, you know, they're, they're bringing the kids with them. And there's a lot of trade-offs that, that activists have to, have to consider. And so as a show of appreciation, you know, we're going to feed you dinner oh. uh, and we'll have a program for you. I'm, and I'm, I'm mildly entertaining. Yeah, you're going to be talking tonight. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to just touch on some of the things that he's going to talk about because I don't want to give it to you now. And then you go and get it, a double dose of it later, although that's not a bad thing because you can't remember everything that you hear uh, on the radio. But uh, that means you can get some great, some of that great whole hog barbecue potato salad. Mm. Have you ever had your potato salad? I haven't had the potato salad. Oh, dude. You, you get ready. It's worse than crack. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I don't need to be in a coma. To, oh, it's, to, no, to we'll put you in. I'm going to put you in a coma, but you, you'll be coming back to Little Rock a lot so you can get your, get your fix as far as that concerned. So talk a little bit about, let's just hit the high points. What are some of the things that we're going to deal with this evening? You know, I'm going to lay out uh, a little bit of a concern here in the United States. We are no longer in the top 10 of the most politically and economically free nations. That's scary in and of itself. According to both the Heritage Foundation here stateside and the Fraser Institute in Canada, they do an annual economic freedom index, and we have slipped. And uh, uh, we are tied with Canada, but we're behind some pretty shocking countries, so we'll talk about that. But really we'll talk more about what it's like uh, what economic freedom provides in the way of greater well-being for all, for you and me, Dave, for the, for the folks paying taxes out there and, and, and driving home from work today, uh, to those people who are the, the least well-off in our, in our society. Okay. And those S-holes that we've talked about. <laughs> you know, I think, I think a, a rising tide lifts all boats. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, and, and in some of those nations which, which, which are, are clawing themselves up in, into the developed status uh, even even trade with those nations and, and and empowering those individuals to go out and achieve their dreams will will certainly improve the status of a, of a lot of countries. Yeah. yeah, and to be able to raise yourself up like like that means that you have to have a government that believes in the individual, gets the it gives the individual the opportunity to better themselves. And one of the factors that the Fraser Institute takes into consideration is the rule of law. Uh, when laws are passed in Arkansas or in Washington, does the government uphold those laws? Are those laws written to favor the politically connected? Uh, you know, my uh, a big supporter of this organization, a guy named Charles Koch, says that we have a two-tiered society and that there, there are those who are politically connected, and they get their friends in state capitals and in Washington to write laws that benefit them. And, and we're out here, you know, fighting for, fighting for the little guy who doesn't have that level of representation. Well, you know the man behind Standard Oil, right? Mm -hmm. Remember him? Mm -hmm. He said the only time that he got involved in politics and buying off politicians is when they got involved in his business. And what is what is unfortunate, especially for those well-meaning folks who maybe aren't as politically active as, as you or, or as me, is, is politics is happening to them, yes, whether they is. realize it or not, and, and whether they, they see the direct benefits or 
the negative effects of, of political uh, meddling. And so it's so important for those folks who are who are sitting on the couch tonight, uh, who are frustrated about what's going on, or maybe they feel pretty good about what's going on, um, to get up and do something. Yeah, when you look at, you, you think about what I just said, there were other businesses, as he was in the oil business, mm-hmm. that were buying off politicians to make it more difficult for him to do business. And so he started paying off people to block what the other people were trying to do. And, and what we've got, particularly in the 36 states where we are, are 10,000, right now more than 10,000 grassroots leadership academy trained activists who care about freedom, who care about true capitalism, free enterprise, and they are talking to their legislators. They, many of them or some of them are even running for office themselves uh, for the first time. You know, I ran for office when I was 19 in 2006. And <laughs> I got it out of the way. Is ben so, Shapiro, your uh, brother? <laughs> no, not quite. Okay. But he's, All right. you know, he's got some. He's got some good things. But, but you know, channeling those energies into productive activities. Because what I can tell you right now, I was in Jackson, Mississippi, over the weekend doing a legislative training with about twenty activists, and there was a, a gentleman in the room who said, "You know, a state representative will pick up the phone and will take notice when two or three or five constituents call him." Uh, so, you know, the guest you had on uh, in the last segment. I guarantee if he gets five calls from, from constituents, he's going to know that there's something up in the district and people are concerned about an issue. Trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, because they're, you know people typically don't pick up the phone. If he gets three letters, that really carries some weight. Absolutely. I've, I, keep, you know, I keep thank you notes in my backpack and write handwritten thank you notes because mm-hmm. it's so uncommon. But absolutely, communicating with your legislator and being organized and thoughtful about that process. I know it's, it's essentially a budget session this year. Uh, in Arkansas, but but having having a say in that, and we teach that's some of the things that we teach is how to get involved, how to show up at the Capitol, and make the case for the for the issues you care about. How how important is it for a person not only to understand who the legislators are, but how the legislature works? I just had State Representative Stephen Meeks on, and we were talking about the budget, and so he was going through one of their meetings and how convoluted it all can get. But it's all it's important for all of us to understand kind of how a how a bill is made and how it is passed and all of that. And yes, it's a true statement. It's a whole lot like watching sausage get mm-hmm. made and it's not very pretty. It isn't and and a lot of people, you know, a lot of your listeners are working 40, 60, 80 hours a week and they don't have a lot of time for this kind of thing. But, you know, learning the process, finding an ally, finding a friendly state representative, I guarantee you in most states where we are I would even say all of them. Uh, there's a state representative or a state senator who is a champion on the issues you care about, and he or she will be an ally, will tell you the process if you don't know it. Uh, and then there are activists who, who've been around a long time. You know, you talk about uh, Teresa, uh, who's, who's been involved in Arkansas politics for a long time. She's a, she's a great resource here. Um, she knows a lot about the process. And there, there are people who we don't have to reinvent the wheel, or we don't have to try and try and try until we get it right, because there are people who have come before us uh, and, and gotten it right. And that's some of the training we provide. You know, our team at, at the Grassroots Leadership Academy, it's about 25 folks who have worked on campaigns in the past. Mm-hmm. They've run state operations. They are from the educational, they have an educational background, principal of a charter school. And we put together programming that makes sense, that's easy to consume, and that allows someone to go from that event and go and take action in, in the community where they live. All right, we'll get back. We'll talk further with Matt. Going to have him touch on some of the the high points again about what he'll be talking about tonight and whether you're a believer 
in capitalism or the free market makes no difference at all about coming to this. Come and if you've got an open mind and at least you'll listen, I would suggest it's not a waste of time for you to show up and to check out what's being said. You just might learn something. You know, everything you know about claiming your Social Security benefits have been turned upside down because every year the federal government changes the rules on you and new rules uh, for claiming your benefits go into effect. And that means your decisions that you're going to be making uh, could cost you tens of thousands of dollars in lifetime benefits that are rightfully yours, higher taxes, increased Medicare premiums. Get the facts in the updated 2018 guide to Social Security from David Lucas of the David Lucas Show. You hear him right here Saturdays, 10 and 3, on 96.5 FM, The Answer. This simple and easy-to-read guide is packed full of up-to-date information for 2018 that can help you avoid losing tens of thousands of dollars in lifetime benefits. And remember, those are benefits that you have coming. You've been giving your money uh, to the Social Security Fund uh, you know, and, and with trust that you're going to get your money back. To get your free 2018 guide to Social Security, be one of the first 10 callers right now, 501-653-6690. That number again, 501-653-6690. Okay, so you've, uh, our guest, Matt Hurt, and he's with the Grassroots Leadership Academy of AFP, that's Americans for Prosperity. Uh, they're holding a special event tonight, and it starts at 6. It'll be done by 8. You'll be able to get home before the weather gets real bad or anything like that. I highly recommend you come, and you're going to get a free dinner out of it, and uh, they're not going to be selling you a timeshare. Uh, they're going to give you some really good information uh, that you can use to hopefully, you know, we all would like to turn, you know, the Titanic, that's the U.S. government, around. But how about we just get the PT-109 turned around, which is the state of Arkansas? Uh, as I always say here on the show, the best government that you can affect is the government that is the closest to you. That would be your school board, your quorum court, your city government, your state government. You got much more power there than you have with four congressmen and a couple of senators. Absolutely. So here's the place that you can fight. And, uh, right now with the president we have and the Congress that we have, so to speak, uh, you know, the whole, the whole federalism thing is kind of in, in vogue right now. Uh, I don't know if you remember this name or not, Steve Goldsmith. He used to be mayor of Indianapolis and okay. he was big on federalism. And, uh, he was the one who preached that to me all the time. And it just makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's kind of what you're doing, isn't it? By going to these, you're just doing, are you just in basically Mississippi, Tennessee, and in uh, Arkansas? So Americans for Prosperity Foundation is in 36 states. And in October, I was in Alaska. Uh, I've been all over the country providing these trainings. We, uh, as far out as Nevada and, and Montana and Alaska, and, and then up in those New England states, red states and blue states alike. Uh, you know, I did an event in New Jersey, which is very similar I'm to sorry. tonight's event. Hey, it was, it was, it was great. Wall Township, <laughs> the people of Monmouth County are, 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 are nice. Uh, they just sound a bit different than us. Yeah, well, and, of course. <laughs> But uh, but really, the the important takeaway is is not everybody is is Dave Ellswick. Not everybody has uh, has has a mic and, and and an antenna. 
but you can you can make an impact. You can go in your community, in your HOA, uh, at the city council level, and organize a few of your friends and, and really make a tremendous impact. All right. So, you know, my friends, I got a couple of friends that are going to be there tonight. Uh, I'm going to be over there tonight. I don't know if I'll stay for the whole thing. You're going to be kind of preaching to the choir with me, but there's going to be, hopefully, uh, from what I understand, there's people that are bringing their friends that maybe haven't been all that involved in politics. Mm-hmm. And as you said, whether you're involved in politics or not, politics are involved with you. Uh, I just, I would like to be there kind of be being, being an, an evangelical Christian. I would love to see somebody get converted from being a socialist to being a capitalist. You know, I had a, a Bernie Sanders supporter <laughs> in an event one time that was almost very similar to this one. And, and at the end he said, you know, I've never really thought about these issues from this perspective. And, and it does, it takes an open mind. We've got friends, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner is always a fun time with my family. Cause I have a, a liberal aunt and, and particularly as it circles around election time, you know, she gets she gets real chatty about that. Uh, but it's a great opportunity to meet some new friends, meet some old friends and, and, and to find somebody who uh, who cares just um, just as much about freedom and liberty as you do. That's good. It's kind of interesting. The, the whole thing, by the way, for your aunt, it should be interesting the next time that you all get together because see how many times she says Oprah. <laughs> she was quiet at Christmas. Well, <laughs> Oprah wasn't in the, in mm-hmm. the talk yet. Now mm-hmm. now it's going to be. Uh, as you look, I'm, I'm excited because I just saw, I don't know if we made it or not. We still got a little, well, it's not open today, is it? That was the numbers from Friday mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we're only about, what was it? About 27 points from hitting 26,000. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Tomorrow's going to be fun there. Uh, Russ, you know, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep it on uh, Wells Fargo where my 401k is so I can see it click up a little bit more. And, and one of the things about that, and particularly tax reform, which just happened, is more Americans are going to have more money to put toward retirement and investing and savings and the projects they want to engage in. And, and many times we don't make that connection that it is public policy that, that, that allows us to do that. And so when something is passed that's beneficial, it's our responsibility to go and educate not only the people who, who tend to agree with us, but those who don't as well. Do you find it – well, I'll let you answer this when we come back. I'll, I'll... – Pose the question and you answer when we come back. Do you find it as disingenuous to you as I do it to me when you've got uh, the minority leader of the House saying that the companies are only giving their workers crumbs from what has happened, that what uh, the president's done, as though a couple hundred extra dollars uh, a pay, uh, during a month of a paychecks or uh, getting a $1,000 bonus as though it makes no difference whatsoever. We're going to come back and talk about this here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We have Fox News coming our way. We'll get caught up on that, and then we'll return. Uh, Matt Hurt is here from AFP. All right, 25 minutes until 4 at 6 o'clock over at Whole Hog Barbecue in West Little Rock. That's right off of Markham and Bowman. Uh, you'll be able to sit down at 6, have a meal, and then uh, be able to hear Matt, who's on the show today from AFP and the Grassroots Leadership Academy, speak about um, how to make changes that uh, conservatives really want to see made. And smaller government is one of them. And, uh, you know, making some different changes in how much money we're being, are spending on government is 
uh, the other. What's the first thing that you try to teach everybody, uh, Matt, at this uh, particular uh, event? So the power of, of economic freedom, which we'll be talking about tonight, is really how to humanize these policies. Because oftentimes, and, and, and look, I'll, I'll admit And Republicans it, do a terrible job of this. Conservatives, libertarians, Republicans, folks on the right really, in many instances, have a problem articulating not only the human consequences of bad public policy, but the benefits of, of good public policy. So we're going to put a human face on those issues, uh, talk about how to personalize them, and, uh, and really how to go and be... Uh, an, an evangelical for uh, the free and open society that allows people to achieve their American dreams, and so uh, you know one of the one of the big Sorry. things that no we we get it's it's that it's the post lunch you know I had I had pizza today from from Vino's it was fantastic and, uh, and and I'm feeling it too but but being able to again humanize and talk about these issues is is so important because it it's not necessarily the door to door game or the phone bank game that, that your candidates engage in. It's those conversations before church. It's the conversations in line at the grocery store, conversations at the soccer field when you're watching your kids play, where we can change hearts and minds, where people find a trusted source in the community, and they say, wow, I didn't know you believed in these values and these principles. Um, I'm going to take another look at them. Yeah, and the other thing being, a lot of people think that a person that they've hung out with for a long time have the same thought processes as they do. Mm -hmm. And maybe you've never talked about those things. And when you do, you find out they're way out in left field somewhere. Oh, yeah. Pew Research, right before the election, released a poll that suggested 31% of Trump voters didn't know a Hillary voter or wasn't close friends. And 47% of Hillary voters didn't know a Trump voter. And so we're not talking to each other. Uh, and I live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm from outside Nashville, Tennessee. And, and I tell you what, 17% of people in Arlington voted for the guy who's president now. Yeah. So I live in a community that is very different than, than a lot of the views that, that I espouse or I talk about. And I go out of my way to reach out to my friends across the aisle to see where, where they are on the issues and where we can find common ground. Well, you can typically find some common ground. Mm -hmm. I, in my heart, I got to believe that the other side does want to do some good things for our country. But you got to find what those good things are that you can work together on. I think most people are well-meaning. They want the, the least of these in our community to be taken care of uh, across the political spectrum. And so it's, it's how we best, best do that. Do communities do that better than government? Does business and education do that better than government? I think so. Uh, Dave, I would, I would assume that, that you believe so as well. And, and so making the case in the community with, with our friends on the left or friends across the spectrum uh, gives us that opportunity to talk about these issues. All right. Now, we, when we left, we talked about uh, some different things. I said I'd let you pick it up. Uh, from there, when you've gone out and talked to people, you were telling me during a during a break that at the time when we were talking about the tax cuts, they were talking about eighty dollars a month mm -hmm. for the average paycheck. Now they're talking two three hundred dollars for the average worker, or at least ninety percent of the workers out there. What are you hearing from workers about how their lives will change if they get that extra money? And really what kicked off this question in the summer was a reporter from New York saying $1,000, that's pennies, you know, no big deal at all. Well, we got the, the mi minority leader of the House, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. saying it's crumbs. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about that, it's, it, that's about 80 bucks a month. And, and I started asking activists, what would you do with an additional $80 a month? And it's really fascinating. Uh, you know, pe people would, would save more money. They would, 
They would, you know, go to the doctor more. They would, you know, pay off their car quicker. They would go on vacation with their children. Uh, and so, again, it's, it's humanizing these policies where, you know, a 100-page bill or a 1,000-page bill in Washington, a lot of people don't think about what that means. But when you see on your withholding you've got 200 extra bucks in your paycheck, that's a big deal for people outside of what I call the, the D.C., New York City, Asela Corridor. Okay, because it, it really is um, – I see, I see the people in the Northeast and stuff poo-poo this stuff. But the, the average American, I got to believe if you got – Let's just say it's two twenty five, mm-hmm. all right, that you get in your paycheck extra a month. Two twenty five buy quite a few groceries. Mm-hmm. Two twenty five buy quite a bit of gas. Two twenty five you add if you save it up, take your family on a vacation or out to the movies a few times. I mean that that's tangible stuff that the average Joe and Joette can do. And not a lot of people have the time to sit and think about what happens when the policies change. And so one of the great things that Americans for Prosperity Foundation does is engage in a campaign called It's Working. So when a state passes a policy that that, that, that we believe is the best path forward, um, It's Working goes out and then educates people about how that uh, how that policy is, is impacting their lives. Yeah, I, now I know that the Koch brothers both feel a lot like I do as well about uh, when you talk about regulation, mm-hmm. uh, regulations do nothing more than strangle business, mm-hmm. throwing a wet blanket on business on, and, and Obamacare was the worst of the worst. Uh, I just heard a figure the other day that, uh, when the, when the, uh, president was running for election, said they wanted to, uh, for every regulation that was passed, they wanted to get rid of three. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the number is really? What what is the number today? It is now for every regulation that has been passed, they've gotten rid of twenty two. It's it's really amazing, and a lot of those again, many of those regulations sort of have a nebulous context. Like, how does this impact me in Little Rock if I want to start a small business? Um, but you go you go to the city and and you try to file for permits and you get permission and you realize that there is a lot of red tape. Yeah, there is uh, to go and, and and achieve your American dream. And all those permits cost you something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're peeling off dollars for all of that. It's and taken billions of dollars out of the economy that could yes. be used to, to create more jobs that, that get tied up in government. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an, I think we're living in a very exciting time now. Like I said, we're close to 26000 on the stock market. Uh, I'm excited about that, but I'm excited about for these small businesses, these pass-throughs are going to see like a 15 or 17% drop in their tax uh, taxes they're going to have more money to do a lot of things with. Business should continue to just keep revving up. Well, and you've seen uh, in the last few weeks uh, organizations, businesses that have said, we're going to give bonuses, we're going to hire you know, more employees, we're going to have the starting salary be, be higher than it was, all because of the, the stimulant effect of, of tax reform, and more people need to hear about that. Doesn't that drive you crazy when you hear these $1,000? I, I, if I owned a business, I'd be... I I would be embarrassed just to give my worker a thousand dollar bonus, uh, except maybe they have fifty five thousand employees. But the key is, is that would they have turned it down? Would you, if somebody offered you a thousand bucks, would it put you a, put a smile on your face if they handed it to you? I would think about 99% of the people it would. You know, I I think about my sister who is uh, raising my niece, four year old niece. 
and who's a hairstylist outside Nashville. And I think about what she could do with $1,000 and providing for Ariel, my niece, and, and, and providing a better life. And absolutely, those, those are real dollars to people who are, who are working hard out here. What could she do with maybe $2,500 over the course of a year? Oh, yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. You buy a car or take put, on a car payment or whatever. Put that in an educational savings account. Yeah. In, in anything. So many opportunities. And I think, again, humanizing, personalizing, and making these the, the benefits of good public policy real to the people um, is, is a tremendous benefit. I'll tell you what. If I only got $5 back every month, I'd still smile some because that's my money. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. my money. Give me my money. You know, I mean, I listen to, you know, Pelosi and she talks like it's her money. It's the government money. It's the government. Why would you want to give the people $250 a month in their paycheck? Uh, they can spend it for themselves. Yeah, there's a fundamentally different view of, about there's whose a disconnect. money mm-hmm. There's a total disconnect. They're the people who think they know more than we do. And they can spend our money better than we can. And I always remind people, anybody that will tell you that, uh, you know, the government can do better, understand if the government controls your uh, checkbook, uh, they they control you. And for a long time, that's already been going on. And then you add in health care and it gets really bad at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, the more the government controls, the worse off you are. I don't believe the government is my friend. Never have believed that. They're always taking money from me. <laughs> you know, I, I let me take care of my family. The first money that comes out of my check should not be to take care of somebody else. Well, and Dave, when you ask yourself, you know, who are those who are least fortunate in our community, how best to, to serve them? Is it through community organizations, yes. through church organizations, yes. or is it through government? <laughs> and and there's, a, there's a different view. There's a reason why I give 10% to my church every paycheck mm-hmm. because they can do it better than I can do it. Mm-hmm. They, my church identifies the people that need help. My church makes sure that they need help. And then my church helps them. Mm-hmm. So I'm more than happy to give um, my 10%. And in times I give more. All right. We got 14 minutes till we can come back to Matt. We'll talk some more. Don't forget tonight, six o'clock over at the whole hog barbecue. That's on the corner of Markham and Bowman. Uh, you go over there, uh, come inside. Should they just, is there going to be somebody at the door? They can ask and say, yeah, where are you guys meeting at or yeah, whatever? Just walk in. We're in the, we're in the back room and, and you'll be able to find us pretty easily. I, yeah, I didn't know if they're going to have you there in a, like a statue of Liberty costume <laughs> with holding a sparkler or something. I we'll didn't take know. some of these cardboard cutouts. In the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you feel, don't you feel at ease when you're in my studio? It's, it's got a calming effect. It's got a calming effect. All right. It's Dave Ellswick's show. We'll be back. we got more. 96.5 FM, The Answer. Now, I just, uh, we're, we're firing off the uh, warning here. We're hearing that it's absolutely crazy at Walmart right now. So uh, that is our klaxon for bread and milk because we might actually get two inches of snow. <laughs> broadcasting live from the walmart parking lot <laughs> i'm gonna tell you that that used to scare the living crap out of me at times i was stationed on guam of course had a b-52 flight there and you'd be sitting in theater and that sucker would go mm-hmm. off and they had to run to their planes you know practice and 
and you, or at least you hoped it was a practice <laughs> and get in their planes, fire them up and sit there at the end of the runway. And if they started, t- if they started going down the runway, that's when you knew you had nine minutes left. <laughs> so yeah, it was crazy, but that Claxton, that's a, you got the exact one, Russ. Good job, man. That sounded exactly like the one, uh, for the uh, B 52 crews, uh, back in the day when I was on Guam. All right, Matt is here, Matt Hurt. He's going to be speaking tonight again with Americans for Prosperity. He's with the Grassroots Leadership Academy. He's going to be speaking to all of you about uh, the greatness of open markets, free market trade, and things of that nature, why it's the way to go, why it does great things for economies. Uh, he'll, He'll tell you about how we've lost our role in the top 10 as a free market country, Hong Kong still number one. It is still number one. Okay, figured it. But and think about that. And that and the, and the Chinese control Hong Kong now, and they're still number one for freedom in a in a free market uh, type situation. So even uh, the freaking red Chinese understand that an open market works better than uh, a controlled market by the government. Let me just uh, say that uh, you were telling me it's a good idea for people to bring uh, some paper and a pen. You know, if, if, if you're coming out tonight, uh, that's one thing um, that you might want to bring, pen and pad, if you want to take notes. If not, uh, you can connect with us online at grassrootsleadershipacademy.org. A lot of the resources are there uh, okay. and available. But if you take copious and vociferous notes, as I know a lot of your listeners like probably Elizabeth. do, uh, then you'll want to bring something to, <laughs> to, to write on and write with. I'll hear something about that. Yeah, Elizabeth <laughs> does all of our social media, and she listens in. And let me just tell you, she probably – has quoted you a couple of times on some tweets, <laughs> just so people can know about that. Again, this is happening tonight over at Whole Hog uh, Barbecue in West Little Rock, Markham and Bowman, uh, that corner uh, up uh, there by, there's a there's a Mexican food place, but we're going to be in Whole Hog Hall, uh, Barbecue. Same as uh, Mardell's. Yeah, Mardell's. Thank you very much. And, and you know, Dave, if, if your listeners can't make it tonight, uh, we're going to be doing a lot of great things here in Arkansas all year. Ryan Norris is, is a fantastic state director. He's building a, building a great organization, a great team, and we're going to come back here in the next few months and, and, and provide more programming. Uh, and if, you, if you're outside of, of a political entity, if you're your own actor out there doing your own thing, you can even request us to come and speak to your organization. Oh, wow. That's uh, good. And, and, and like I said, we'll work with Ryan in Arkansas. We're working in, in 36 states to provide this kind of programming for activists. Yeah, just for everybody to understand, they don't back any kind of political candidate or anything like that. They are specifically out to teach people the greatness of free markets. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll work with anybody that's a free marketer. Is that correct? Ab- absolutely. Anybody can come in. Uh, our programming is open to, to all types. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, even like a socialist to walk in. So maybe they learn something about, about free enterprise. That would be great. I would love, I want to, <laughs> I want to see somebody convert it tonight. All right. I want to see a conversion, but yeah, I, I don't understand. Maybe you can explain it to me because you've been teaching it. When a socialist runs into somebody who can actually show them the facts of what of what a free market or capitalism does. I mean, when you look at capitalism, socialism, communism, there is no there is there's no comparison between the bottom two with capitalism. I mean, when I went to school, capitalism was taught like up at the very top, you know, if you had if I had a scale right now, if you could see me, next week you'll be able to because I had the cameras. I'm holding my 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 hand way up high. 
and then it was socialism and it was down towards I'm about at the tabletop. And then when you said communism, it was on the floor. Yeah, folks aren't learning that in, in no, the schools. No, they're not learning it at all. And so it, it is up to us in the community and, and, and us as an organization, as Grassroots Leadership Academy, you, Dave, and, and the folks who are listening to the show to go and, and be those beacons of, of a free enterprise, of a free and open society. You know, I mean, how do you get around when you talk to people about they want everybody, quote, to be equal? Yeah, it's just it's equality of of outcome is 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 a terrible concept and 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 I think what we have to do is 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 give people equal opportunity to go and achieve their american dream and by doing that we empower communities we empower individuals to to do what they want so long as they're not harming someone else to provide for themselves and their family and their community all right so Matt will you be taking questions at the end of the uh, event tonight uh, oh yeah so it's from 6 to 8 i will however hang out as long as activists want to answer questions to talk about future opportunities and of course Ryan Norris and the team are going to be there to uh, to channel that energy into into productive activities all right so for folks that want to go to, are they still you still want them to go to eventbrite right now you can yeah you go to the eventbrite find the event and uh, if not we'll get you registered there at the door don't don't stress about showing up. If you haven't registered, it's fine. Just show up anyway. All right. Dinner at 6. Presentation start, what, about 625? Yeah, 625, 630. Okay. You, after you've had enough time to wolf yours down, That right? potato salad. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to tell you, <laughs> once you taste that potato salad, whole hog barbecue, uh, you're just not ever going to be able to go back. You're going to want to come to Little Rock all the time just to have some potato salad. Matt, it's always a pleasure. Dave, I want to thank you for for what you've done here in the state uh, with your listeners and with Americans for Prosperity and the Foundation. Well, we're going to keep it up, man. We we haven't attained what we want yet, but we're working at it. We want smaller government. We haven't got there by a long shot. Mm -hmm. You heard what I was saying to the state representative before he left today. What was I pushing? Small government. Mm -hmm. All right. So anyway, we'll uh, keep that in mind. I'll see you tonight. Thanks, Dave. Have a nice evening. All right. We'll be over at uh, Whole Hog. I hope you'll be there as well. Starts at 6 o'clock. I'll be there a little later because i got to leave here, make my way over there. Come on over and learn some stuff about open markets. Coming up, uh, Conduit for Action will join us. Brenda and Joe will be uh, joining us. we got things to talk about with them. Robert Steinbach, our legal beagle, will be with us in the final hour. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T, lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. All right, back with you. We're into the four o'clock hour. Conduit for Action is going to join us here in just a moment. Sorry to hear that Andre Hawkins died, of course. Oh, Happy Day, one of the great, great gospel tunes of the uh, 60s and, and 70s. I mean, that was a great song. Got started over on the West Coast 
came out to the rest of the United States. One of the few great things that ever came out of San Francisco. But, uh, yeah, that, that was, that wasn't, I didn't even know that he had pancreatic cancer. I had no idea. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll salute him coming up into the next hour here on the, uh, the Dave Ellswick show. Uh, remember you really don't need nine gallons of milk and 15 loaves of bread. Uh, we're not having a blizzard folks at the most, we're going to get two inches of snow and, uh, traffic could be a little slower in the morning, but that'd be about it. Uh, hope to see you. There there we go. Here we go. Now that's the way most people's minds work when they hear snow in Arkansas. I'm just saying, all right, joining us, uh, today, the good folks from, uh, Conduit for Action, conduitforaction.org, conduitforcommerce.org. Brenda and Joe are here. And uh, is are the are the alarms going off uh, where you all are at? Are the stores packed with people wanting bread and milk? Well, I understood like at 1130 uh, this morning that all the cars were covered in snow in Rogers, and that's about... 15 minutes north of where we are here in Fayetteville, and it still hasn't snowed here. It's 20 degrees outside, and you're putting me into a panic thinking, what am I going to do for food for the next two weeks? I'm, you, I'm you, busy working. I don't know what to do outside. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Well, you know, number one, I don't eat milk sandwiches. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't understand why it's all milk and bread all the time when it comes to uh, the snowfall, but... Uh, Hey, I just made some chicken and dumplings, homemade chicken and dumplings yesterday. There's still plenty left that if we need to break into it again tomorrow, we can. And that'd be nice and warm. And we can, if we can't get to work, we can all stay at, 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 uh, at home and, uh, and kind of just relax for the day is the way that thing goes. All right. So, well, I was hoping maybe that everyone would set their alarm and listen to Paul Harrell in the morning at 6 a.m. Well, know? they can do that because we'll be given all the traffic and everything that they need. So uh, it's going to be great. I just don't, I'm not buying the whole snow thing until it happens, to be honest, because I've heard them say one to three inches and now they pull it back to one to two inches. And then they're saying now one to two inches possible. Now, now that sounds like to me, you're hedging your bet when you get to when you put the word possible in there. Well, well, now I heard it was a conspiracy <laughs> between the grocery stores and the media, <laughs> where they could spin this story up would cause more people to purchase more than they need and create more advertising dollars. That's what I thought. That's what I've heard. Okay, never know. Could be something behind that, Joe. I'm just saying this could be something behind that. All right. Economic development. Yeah, maybe. Economic development. That's, that's right. That's a, that's a good way of looking at it. Maybe that's exactly what it is. You got economic development going. Okay, so I want you all to tell me about this latest report that you all have looked at that say 13.5% of those who are employed are at risk of missing meals while more than $13 million was sold for the Feed the Hungry Children program in Arkansas. Now, I've been talking about that un- unendingly. These 16 people's, people over in eastern Arkansas, some of them walking away with $1.3 million and more uh, with false feeding programs. And I had uh, State Representative Stephen Meeks on uh, earlier today, and we were talking about that, and some of the, you know, 
bottom line is uh, a lot of fraud, waste, and abuse right there uh, when you're looking at it. 13 million. I I kind of figured out that it was maybe somewhere closer to 16 million. But your guy, your guys' thoughts on this? I think that. Uh, Anyone who has a pencil and piece of paper, if they want to learn some principles of government, they could go ahead and write down, too much money in government breeds corruption. And I think that that food stamp program, it's not, excuse me, it's not food stamps, but it's Feed the Hungry Children program, and what you've talked about probably the last two hours, uh, it's an example of just too much money that's not being accounted for. Because, you know, the government's just a wash in money. But to read a report today in, uh, in Northwest Arkansas's paper, just below the, the phone line on the front section, I, I don't know where it might be uh, residing in the uh, Central Arkansas, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, but to see that they give almost a half a page to states working poor face hunger, you know, 13.5% of employed at risk of missing meals. This is apparently, I haven't read the report. Day, but it says a nonprofit organization recommends addressing the causes of the poverty, unemployment, underemployment, and limited access. And when I read the article, it seemed to be promoting uh, increasing the uh, wage. You know, the, uh, they think that our eight eight and a half cent minimum wage is not high enough, and that thirteen and a half percent of the people who work in Arkansas are hungry. Yeah, I you know that whole thing. Robert Rector, who's with the Heritage Foundation, does studies about this stuff all the time. And this is nothing but a guess. They don't have any numbers to back this stuff up. It is a specific guess that they make when they say this 13.5%. If you just miss uh, one meal during the course of a day, they will say that you are probably underfed. I can tell you I miss one meal a day probably most of the time. Well, you're talking about, uh, earlier you are talking about the fraud case for food fraud, and, and what you're talking about is England, Arkansas, Alzheimer, Arkansas. I mean, that's where I grew up and spent the first 44 years of my life, and I know there's not a McDonald's around the corner. You know, it's at least 20 minutes away from some of those locations. And, um, you know, I know that there may be, there's certainly poor people there. But I, I don't ever recall being around anyone who I could dis- distinguish were hungry. And uh, I could see that a lot of people were like, you know, any mall you go into in Arkansas, a lot of them were the opposite of hungry. And uh, I know that this is where they've set up these, you know, feed the children programs and they, they would uh, actually fraudulently a report that they had fed. But here in, here in Fayetteville, uh, we were talking last summer, there were these programs, same, same program, and they were advertising and couldn't get enough children to show up that, you know, to make the program viable. I mean, where, and it, I, feel, uh, I feel guilty when I say this, which I think that maybe these nonprofits like Hunger Free America might realize people who are fed may feel guilty when they say, where are the hungry people? I mean, just because I'm not hungry, but I mean, where are the hungry people, Dave? Well, I, I agree. I'm not saying that there aren't hungry people out there, but I don't believe it's any 13 and a half percent. Uh, like they're saying, they're, they're saying 13, half, uh, 13 and a half percent 
of the employed are at risk of missing meals. Well, so you miss one meal a day. What, what is the, Joe, help me out here. What's the big deal about that? Well, I think that someone wants more government to fix this problem. That's what it sounds like to me. I mean, it, but, but it, I, I can tell you that how long have they been working on hunger? Uh, and, and obviously, government is not the solution. It's, it's probably the problem. Uh, private uh, people will, will, you know, we're in Fayetteville. We're looking for places to help. My wife and I are looking for places to help, and we go to a food pantry, and they can't hardly fit what I've got to give them on a shelf because they're so full. Now, I don't, I don't know what the deal is about this missing meals thing, but I'd look at the parents first and ask them what the hell they're doing about it. Well, and I, I agree with that. I've always asked if you have this many kids that are, and usually they'll, they'll zero it in for the children because everybody has a special spot in their heart for children. Uh, and, and I always ask, well, what's happening with the food stamp money that we're already spending for the families to take care of the kids. And then I'll have somebody say, well, you know, the parents aren't spending it the way they're supposed to. And then I say, and you think that they're spending this other money the way they're supposed to please how much, how much fraud waste, you know, that's um, crazy. Our good statewide media, like the Arkansas Democrat Gazette to maybe publish articles from other organizations. I mean, we've talked about one that I hate to tout my own horn, but we're, you know, the state's under tax reform right now. And, uh, you know, just why don't we print something like our recommendations for uh, tax reform in Arkansas from a conservative perspective rather than an article on, on we need more money to feed hungry people. And then there's the pain point politics piece in the middle of the article referencing a lady with a 10-year-old daughter. She only makes, you know, 18000 a year with her 32, 35-hour-a-week job at $10 an hour, and so she's hungry because she gets no child support. It doesn't talk about uh, any other support that she or her child might get. And then it references another lady who has four children and only makes 19000 And, you know, I don't want to spend my time going to our different agencies to find out what benefits that I might qualify for if I were in that circumstance. But reading things like these that are half-truths, you know, I would challenge our um, uh, the people that put these articles there to take up so much space. I mean, if we're going to be hungry from something, it might be hungry for accurate information. Yeah, I will definitely go with that. Joe? Well, I think corruption in the state, in this, all these systems, in, in all government programs is, is clear to everybody. Uh, I don't know why the, you know, the media is not on that issue rather than these, these faux grow government issues you know, I think we'd all share the idea that government closest to the people is best, and I think charity closest to people is best. Because you know as well as I do, if there's somebody hungry on your block or in your neighborhood, you're going to help them. But you're not going to help them if they're sitting there drinking beer all day. No bureaucracy will ever see that. Yeah, well, you're exactly correct. I'm, I just had Matt Hurd on. He's with the Grassroots Leadership Academy of Americans for Prosperity. And uh, he and I were talking about just exactly some of these issues that we're talking about right now. And I made the statement, you know, I think it's wrong for the government to come in and take money from my paycheck to help other people before I can take my money 
and help my own family. Look, I give 10% and more at times to my church because my church uh, identifies the people within my community that need help, and then they help them. And so I support that. I have no problem with supporting that. Typically, when the government gets involved, they're helping people. They have no, no clue on whether they really need to help. They don't have any clue about why they got to the position that they need help, and they just waste our money because they've got to pay half of that money that they collect from us to facilitate the program. Yeah, there are there are people in need out there, and and they have but to ask. But it's, you know, I think it's more. I don't know. It's just, it just doesn't feel as humiliating to ask the government as it does to ask your neighbor. I always had a problem. I still do with uh, calling uh, government welfare entitlements. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't read that part in the Constitution. <laughs> well, that's because you haven't seen my. You got to come see me again, Joe. You got to come in my studio. I got all kinds of signs now here. One of them says well, you. Well, I saw you, quite a few of them last time I was there. It it, it looks like a, a some kind of museum or something of of uh, conservative <laughs> memorabilia. Yeah, well, I've got one that says you are entitled to nothing. <laughs> That's what my mother always. Well, said. That's what my dad <laughs> always the told me. Happiness is what you're entitled to here. Yeah. You? Yeah, you, you, yeah, you're entitled to try to go out and make the the life that you want to have. You're not entitled to my paycheck in any way, shape, or form, or yours, uh, Brenda, or yours, Joe, or Russ, yours. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We've got Conduit for Action on with us. They've got articles for you to read. Go to conduitforaction.org, conduitforcommerce.org. Listen to the Paul Harrell Show. Monday through Friday here on 96.5 FM. The answer starts at 6 a.m., ends at 8 a.m. Hey, don't forget about Safari Pets at 808 West Main in Cabot. No matter what kind of pet you have or pets, whether they're your traditional ones or they're your exotic, uh, they have everything you need for taking care of your pet or pets. They've been open since 2001, and since that time, They have become the largest independent pet store in Arkansas. If you're looking for things for your dog, they've got it. For your cat, they've got it. For your bearded lizard, they have it. For a tarantula, they have it. You need crickets, they have them. You want saltwater fish, they have them. If you want freshwater fish, they got those. They've got birds, they got hedgehogs, they got ferrets, they got rats, they got mice. They've got it all at Safari Pets. 808 West Main and Cabot phone number. 501-628-0067. 501-628-0067. I'll tell you something else they got. They've got information. They've got people that are there every day ready to wait on you and answer any question you have. You can also get on them at uh, the internet, safari-pet.com. Joining us is uh, Brenda and uh, Joe from uh, Conduit for Action. Don't forget, uh, you can hear the Paul Harrell Show every Monday through Friday, 6A to 8A, right here at 96.5 FM. The answer, Paul does a great job. Been trying to get him on the radio station that I was on for many, many years and finally have succeeded, and we're glad to have him here. Uh, You tune in. You'll be glad that you tuned in to listen to him. Hey, Brenda, you said this article you were talking about with this 13.5% 
about uh, you know missing meals and all of that of employed people. Was that on the front page of of the paper up there in Northwestern uh, Arkansas? The Northwest Arkansas section, yes, it was. Okay, well, we don't have it here. I've 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 got the paper here, and I've looked all over it. I can't find it anywhere. So they evidently didn't think we that were here in the central part of the state were interested in that story. But that's a that's a important well, I don't mean study to, be to look cynical, at. But it might be because it was about the people there in your part of the state. No, okay, well that's true. <laughs> Uh, there's no, there's no uh, lying about that. That's that's just the absolute truth of the matter. And well, at uh, least that's where the uh, the thirteen, at least thirteen million is missing from that area. And that's that's my hometown. I'm I'm you know not knocking it. I'm from there, so. Yeah, they're just, they're just trying to generate some Northwest Arkansas guilt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys aren't giving your fair share. Come on now. Yeah, you're barking up the wrong tree, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you, Joe. I, I you know, it, it just bothers me this whole story. And if I do a story about this, if I bring on Robert Rector and we talk about how they figure all of this out about, uh, you know, 13, half, 13 and a half percent of employed people miss at least one meal. If you hear how they measure that, they'll tell me that I'm heartless. Ellswick, you're just a heartless SOB. And I kind of wear that now to be honest with you, like a badge of, uh, of honor, because it's all based upon, on, on false narratives. I mean, let's like you said, Brenda, as you're reading the article somewhere in the article, it's about the kid that, you know, his mom uh, works a job and she only uh, gets 35 hours a week, probably because of Obamacare. Uh, now maybe she'll get a few more hours and, uh, you know, her kid doesn't get as much to eat as he should. That's not, uh, our fault. I'm sorry. Uh, I've got had, I had state representative, uh, Stephen Meeks on the first hour today. And he talks about how he delivers pizza at night, uh, to pay off bills that he has. I'd like to hear that kind of stuff from people who are complaining that the government doesn't give them enough. There was a great study paid for about by our uh, legislators in July 2013 when they were trying to decide whether to expand Medicaid. It was written by Gary Alexander from the Northeast. It was a great study, and it's still I, I still have it. I'm sure the Bureau of Legislative Research still has it. But it, it went through researching the records, DF, uh, DFNA, DHS, and it, it, as I recall, it quoted, take a, a single mom with one child making 18000 and that's exactly what this is. The bit, you add her benefits that she would receive from the state and federal government, and she, she brings into the household 45000 a year. Mm-hmm. Now, Joe and I were on a recent, uh, fairly recent uh, engagement where we were talking to some, uh, some groups, and we stopped at one of uh, the easiest places to eat, McDonald's, and Joe starts laughing and said, isn't this a great country? You can have a full meal, two hamburgers, and a large drink, and it's $3.10. All right. I want you to hold your thought there because I want to come back and talk specifically about some of the things you're talking about. But first, here's Fox News. All right. Back with you, Dave Ellswick's show as we move into the second uh, half hour with our uh, special guests, Brenda and Joe from uh, the folks from Conduit for Action, you can find their websites, conduitforaction.org, conduitforcommerce.org. 
And I want to go back real quickly uh, to something that you said, Brenda, that I think that people do not understand. When they say that somebody makes $18,000 a year, they do not add in any of the money that they may be getting from the government, from food stamps, from, uh, you know, help with paying their, uh, being able to pay their, uh, uh, rent, uh, from, uh, uh, Medicaid payments and, and things of that nature. And you alluded to that when you said, when they did the study, uh, on a, somebody like a single mom with one child making 18,000 a year, in essence, if you added in the government programs, their take is $45,000. Now, why would a, a child miss meals if in essence, the, uh, the adult is really pulling in $45,000 a year. I think Joe hit the target a minute ago when he made his statement, you know, the parents. Well, I've got a friend that it made me think of a story. I've got a, a guy that I, I went to high school with and known him for 40 years, same age as me, had, had a good start in life. His father was a lawyer. Well, he's, he's homeless now by whatever choice, and I'll call it homeless, but he called me one day a couple of years ago and said, Hey, Joe, I'll sell you a bunch of food stamps at half price, 50 cents. There you go. The, the food up here at the Salvation Army and, and Rogers is, is you know all I can eat, so I don't need any food stamps, so I'll sell them to you for half price. I don't know why he thought I would buy them, but that's what happened, and this is a personal account. So yeah. Maybe that some of that happens. Yeah, I, I, um, I think a lot of that happens, to be honest with you, Joe. But go ahead, Brenda. Well, the last couple of days, and, and people have different opinions, and that's what's great about our country. Uh, but, you know, in the paper recently was all the scholarships that Arkansas has been able to give out because our, our lottery proceeds are up, revenue. And uh, the people, the primary target for lottery tickets are those people who make minimum wage and low, low salary, low income. And, you know, they purposely target, uh, you know, the poor. And maybe maybe they bought too many lottery tickets, you know, or, or maybe, um, you know, I, I don't know. But I'm, I'm very disgusted to think that uh, you would have 13.5% claim that 13.5% of employed people go to bed hungry in this state. Well, you said lottery. That's, that, look, can we all agree that it's not a lottery, it's numbers running, <laughs> and that we'd go to jail if we did it? Oh yeah, if 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 you weren't involved with the government, absolutely, you'd be behind bars. So why do they do these vices uh, and and regulate all these vices—the gambling, the the alcohol sales, now the marijuana? I mean, they're, they're going to tax it all so that we perpetuate bad habits to pay for government to do good work. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't get that. Yeah. To- to perpetuate government who does not do good work. Uh, well, that's, you that's know, selfish, though. You know, we're going to legalize marijuana so we can make up a lot of money to help people that are poor. Yeah, I, I don't it know. It change the face of Jackson County, according to one of the uh, articles in the paper yesterday. It's very, very you know, amazing. To, to, help, to help the poor in our nation, the federal government alone has 99 different programs that's available to people uh, that are termed poor in our country. They spend nearly $1 trillion a year on those uh, programs. Now, 
when I say that, that doesn't mean that trillion dollars all ends up heading to the poor in any way, shape, or form. Over 60% of it is spent on administering the programs. So it, it, it's, a, it's a perpetuating uh, you know, thing that they got going on in Washington, D.C. It, it's crazy. It is absolutely insane, but they keep doing it. And then you add in how much money are states paying uh, into this program, local governments paying into the programs, and then how much are nonprofits? It's billions. It's, it's hundreds of billions of dollars a year from nonprofits. If people are not eating, it's because it, it, I got to believe it's because of their own choices. Well, remember recently we've seen several organizations come out with a statistic that Arkansas spends more than seven, $7.9,000 per person in this state. That, that's how much our state government spends. Wow. Way more than the surrounding, way more than all surrounding states. Yeah, even Mississippi. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if they're not spending it to um, provide food, what are we spending it on? You know, we, we know the food is there and... Are we not spending it on educating these people to show them where the benefits are? Well, we know every time you pick up a newspaper, we're seeing advertising for government benefits and uh, programs. So, you know, some people well, we just can't help. Well, private, private charity and private ad- administration of all these kinds of programs has always been the thing that works best. Yes. Because it's closest to the people. Yep. But I can tell you this, the stats you were talking about, Dave, about the federal and the states – I mean, that works for the establishment because they're siphoning off and directing this money, and and it all works for them, so they have no real incentive to fix the problem and then go away. Well, I'm encouraged, Dave, because I think that programs like yours, I think that uh, the more that people become engaged, listen to Paul's show, that kind of thing, people aren't buying these articles. This pain point politics isn't working as well uh, as it used to. You know, 2008... The following eight years, we had about as much we could take from pain point politics. So, you know, it, we're hopeful that um, as John Brummett brags on our governor and thinks that he's conservative enough and, and our, our different political uh, writers up here say that, well, really, uh, DHS has done a great job in, in getting their numbers down. Just wait until we need, need the numbers increase. They've done such a good job. Now they can increase them more quickly. You know, I think that those those media pieces will become less and less, um, you know, accepted by the public, by the listener. They'll either totally tune them out, the papers will go broke because no one's buying them, or, uh, you know, I'm just encouraged that people aren't, aren't believing that kind of thing anymore. Well, I, I sure hope so, because the left has been able to play that song and dance for so many years, you know, that people just take at face value that you've got a mother with a child who's making $18,000 a year and can't, uh, her child goes without food. Uh, when in fact with government assistance, she's making $45,000 a year, but nobody ever reports that. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's kind of scary. That's why, like I was saying early on in this, I give my money to my church. I give 10% to them at times. I give more because I know that they're in the community uh, the people that uh, that I trust are in the community. Identify the people in the community that need help. People who have come to us for help, they vet them out, and I know that the money will be used wisely. 
Exactly. I, I want to say one more negative thing, if I might. The report I referenced from Gary Alexander, the Alexander Group, was dated 2013. It was to advise, to recommend to the legislature that they not expand Medicaid. So now that we're, we've gone from two to three hundred dollars per person and probably per child that they reference in that article, now it's over five hundred a month that we're paying. I mean, I, I would. I would sort of shudder to think how much that forty-five thousand per person has uh, increased. Yeah, it all, it always goes up. It never, that I know of, goes down. Like I said, uh, it can be proven. I can I can pull the the records and show everybody. We have ninety-nine different federal programs that suck up almost a trillion dollars to help quote the poor. That is about uh, they identify about. 16% here in the United States. Think about that. 16% of our population uh, are getting a trillion dollars a year and it hasn't helped. They've only gone, it's only gone up. There's something wrong. And Joe, I think you would agree with me, Brenda. I think you would agree. Government's not the answer. Yep. Never was intended to be. It, it does not have the mechanisms to be the solution. Yeah, you're safety right. Safety net is instead of a hammock. Isn't that what we yep. used to hear? Safety net only. All right. When we come back, let's talk about charity and tax increases to get pot license. I want to talk to you about that and get your information on that as well. Our guests are the folks of uh, Conduit for Action. Conduitforaction.org is their website. Conduitforcommerce.org is a secondary website. Great articles there. You should join and take a look at those articles, read them, and uh, have some uh, you know valuable ammunition at your disposal. And we'll come back and talk to Brenda, and we'll talk to Joe some more. And don't forget, every day, Monday through Friday, 6A to 8A, it's Paul Harrell right here at 96.5 FM, The Answer. Our uh, final segment here with folks from Conduit for Action, don't forget about uh, everything you know about claiming your Social Security benefits probably been turned upside down. I mean, the government is busy at work with the new rules for the new year. They have now put those into effect and that's going to affect your decision and your decision. If you don't know all the rules cost you tens of thousands of dollars in the lifetime benefits that are rightfully yours with your social security, higher taxes, increased Medicare need to know all about that stuff. And you can get the facts in the updated 2018 guide to social security from David Lucas of the David Lucas show right here on 96.5 FM. The answer here in Saturday at 10 AM. And again, at 3 PM, this simple and easy to read guide is packed full of up-to-date information for 2018 to help you avoid losing money. It's that simple. So get your free 2018 guide to social security by being one of the first 10 callers right now at 501-653-6690. That number again, 501-653-6690. And our guest, uh, Brenda and Joe from Conduit for Action, uh, keep in mind, conduitforaction.org is their website. Conduitforcommerce.org is uh, a secondary website. site to go to as well. And you can find some really valuable information, uh, that you can be, uh, checking into and, uh, making sure that you got the, the right stuff to take the people when you're talking to them. 
Let's talk about using charity and tax increases to get pot licenses. I'll let you guys jump into this. This is something that you all wanted to talk about. We've got about nine minutes, so let me turn it over to you. Well, Joe just pointed to me, so I guess I'll go first. (laughs) Um, My son and I had a conversation before uh, the marijuana, medical marijuana, if you want to call it that, was on the ballot. And I told him that, hey, let the people decide. If I get outvoted, you know, I'll go according to the majority, believe it or not. I mean, I'm not going to try to, uh, you know, take any position that's illegal. But right now, I mean, I do not like the fact that marijuana has become legalized through this deception of medical marijuana. I mean, you know, to me it's not an a, a honest debate, but okay, whatever. And, and to prove my point, look at Colorado, who now has finally legalized recreational marijuana. All right, that's fine. But in yesterday's paper, I appreciated the irony in reading an article about Jackson County. It's a socially conservative Jackson County. They don't want one of the five medical marijuana cultivation facilities coming to Arkansas later this year. They want all five of them. Wow. And the reason that they want all five is because the applicants have promised things like they they not only see the economic boost but they see the charities that the uh, cannabis growers would provide to the economically depressed region. They're going to sweeten the pot with early childhood education for low-income children, sponsor youth athletic tournaments, give away holiday turkeys, um, internships to university students in science and agriculture, and, of course, support substance abuse programs, and, I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. You know, you're just going, oh, wow. Think about that. that. Doesn't that tell you how big, I mean, really just how big money-wise this is going to be? Well, and then, then you know, you look at in Colorado, for example, a group of marijuana retailers created a volunteer organization immediately after the drug was legalized to improve the public perception of medica- medical pot. So, you know, these people are ahead of the game. I mean, I like everything that I've read that David Couch, he's an attorney there in Little Rock with you guys, that he has said, you know, he says this is, you know, this is a great boost to the economy, and I, I would really like to know how much investment David has in these things, but of course he worked hard to get it passed. Yes. And I always like to remind everyone that, that David Couch brags that one of his best friends is John Woods, and I know that they worked hard in several things that they got passed. Yeah. State, but, yeah, you know, David Couch won this one, but it, it breaks my heart to see that we we want to try to make government and charities dependent on the expansion of vices. No, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you uh, at all about that, Brenda. I, I agree. I mean, it's the same thing with the lottery and, and all the rest. I mean, the, the way that I wanted to see the lottery go is I want to see them pass a pass a, a law saying that we could have a lottery and then have outside companies bid to have that lottery and then tax the living tar out of it and, and let it be a, a viable business and, and take uh, the taxes out of it instead of the government running it. The, the government shouldn't be running those things. Well, it, you know, follow the money, but... I'll tell you my take on it. It's a little bit different than Brenda's probably, and maybe different than yours, is uh, more libertarian. And I say either it's legal or it's not legal. And I agree with that, too. 
if it's legal, anybody can grow it for their own benefit, or they can buy it from their neighbor who knows how to, you know, grow a better variety and that helps his sinus infection or whatever the medical use is. The free market would sort all this out, but oh no, we can't have that. No, we well, got to. We got to start. The article says that this is going to be, when fully developed, a forty million dollar retail market in Arkansas, bringing in two point four million, you know, additional taxes. So, uh, you know, it's an industry, and it's one thing for the sales tax. You know, okay, do that, but the regulation is, uh, you know, quite quite amazing. Well, every and we know. Well, I mean, I wonder who's going to really get these uh, licenses. You know, who's going to be the the five. Facilities that cultivate. Yeah, Who's uh, going to be the thirty-two dispensaries? Who you got to pay to get on that list? Yeah. we're gonna we're gonna probably find out, and we're gonna help get the word out, Dave. Yeah, we got to just kind of watch and see which uh, which uh, politicians are getting pot money, huh? <laughs> uh, well, it looks like some of them already have. Yeah, ev- evidently it, it's. And here's the thing that everybody has to understand: this is just the first step to getting recreational marijuana. That's that's all this is. It's to get your foot in the door. It's the nose under the under the the tent is what it is all about. Absolutely. I mean, and also in yesterday's paper there was an article: Den- Denver receives applications to open its first marijuana cafe. I mean, well, well uh, my question would be: Is an EBT card going to work there? <laughs> because uh, you talk about the holy grail is if you can have all your bills paid for up to. $44,000 worth of benefits the state can offer you. Why would anybody work? Let's just get an eye and sit around and talk about how much more we need. Now all they got to do is have yourself a cafe that serves munchies and uh, they should be able to use their EBT there to buy any munchies that they want. Not saying ones that are laced, but if you want a pizza cause you're high and you'd really like to have a pepperoni pizza, uh, why not use your EBT card? I mean, you can go to Pizza Hut and buy a pizza there, can't you? Yeah, it sounds like a, a way of life for some people. And I, I have to have drug testing in the business that I'm in, uh, in the aerospace business. And, and you have to have, uh, to, to do any of that work for the FAA-related uh, industries, the drug test program on your people. And if you do that, you find that you can't hire just anybody because of marijuana. Now, if marijuana is legal as a medicine, and then I have to test for it and fire them if they test positive, then they sue me because it's the Americans with Disabilities Act, then that's that's where government gets you. Well, you're, you're exactly right. There's all kinds of convolutions that are going to come out because of this. Guys, we are out of time. I appreciate you joining me today. Some interesting discussions for people to think about. When you hear that somebody is a, a, a single mom, got a kid, and she's only making $18,000 a year, how you need to ask yourself, how much is she getting out of your paycheck uh, as well? $45,000, if you add it all up, then uh, she's probably doing as good or better uh, than you are. Uh, Brenda and uh, Joe, thank you so much for being part of the Dave Ellswick show today. Thank you, Dave. We'll talk to you. All right. Bye-bye now. All right. So think about this. You know, that's something a lot of people don't think about. All of that money is going. Uh, 
to a person and uh, they're not just making 18,000 a year. So Dave Ellswick show, we come back, Robert Steinbox with us. We got a lot to talk about with him. Uh, we'll talk about it. It's coming here on the Dave Ellswick show. Listen up veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Steven. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much needed benefit commonly referred to as aid in attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T, lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. Absolutely. So let, let, let's talk. Um, I want to talk right off the bat. Uh, this last story that you sent me to me is a real chiller and should be to everybody. And this is an SEC school that we're going to talk about. And this is a school that's in one of the most conservative states in the union in Mississippi. This is mm-hmm. Ole Miss. And mm-hmm. Ole Miss, the uh, outgoing general counsel at Ole Miss, recently suggested that the school can, quote, punish students for, quote, a single offensive remark. Ole Miss told Campus Reform, which is a website that 
watches what's going on on our nation's campuses, that its policy does not require punishment for a first offense, but declined to clarify whether a student could be punished for a single microaggression. And let me tell you what, you never know what's a microaggression or not until a school says it's a microaggression. So, and to be clear, a microaggression is, as it's defined at least, protected by the First Amendment. So let's talk a minute about this, because we've seen this issue across the United States, where universities are now coming out and saying, we can sanction students, we can fire professors, uh, notwithstanding that they have both academic freedom for those public entities, First Amendment, because the First Amendment, as you know, only applies to public entities, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we allow for intellectual discourse, uh, and, and, and they have tenure. So, but we can fire them nonetheless if they say something that we don't like, that we call discriminatory, or we call a microaggression. Let's de- define what the law covers and what the law doesn't cover, because university councils across the nation don't seem to understand the very basic truth. And the truth is that a professor, a student, is entitled to say things that other people find offensive. That is tenure. That is academic freedom. That's the First Amendment. So so let's take, for example, me. I'm Jewish. So as you know, one is allowed to sort of speak more freely about his own group. So I'm going to take Jewish group, Jews, and let's say someone makes an anti-Semitic comment, says, I don't like Jews, or I think Jews are not smart. Let's say someone makes that comment. Let's say a professor makes that comment. Well, first of all, that's, I don't believe that statement to be true, right? So let's get that out there. Let's say some professor makes an untrue statement about Jews. He says, I don't think Jews uh, are capable of intelligence. Obviously, I don't believe that, and I think it's fair to say that's an untrue statement. Is a professor allowed to make that comment? Yes. Is that comment discrimination that is covered by either Title VII or Title IX, which is the analog in the educational context? Generally, no. Discrimination has to be targeted. Discrimination has to be relative to an individual or a group of individuals. So if someone says, John Smith or Rob Steinbuck, you in class, you don't belong in my class, you're Jewish, and I don't think Jews are smart enough to be in my class. That's what this racist, it's fair to call that person a racist, that's discrimination. That is prohibited by the law. But if that same misguided professor makes some comment in or outside the environment of the university that he thinks that for some reason Jews are not uh, intelligent, that does not constitute discrimination under the law, albeit we don't like those comments. And the person cannot be fired for that if he has tenure, if he has academic freedom, or if he is 
generally subject to the First Amendment and the confines of that kind of uh, require further discussion. So that's the point where the leftists have decided to co-opt and uh, 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 the discrimination law to avoid the application of the First Amendment. They cannot do that. The, 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 the discrimination law is narrow, and it does not trump the First Amendment. Discrimination must be targeted and specific to an individual or group of individuals, not general claims and preferences or misguided beliefs. They are wrong beliefs. They are still protected beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so this is the most extreme example where the comments are not even outwardly uh, um, discriminatory or racist or negative. They are these so-called microaggressions where people read into the comments whatever they want to read into the comments, similar like this phrase you may have heard, Dave, dog whistle. You know what dog whistle means? It means you've said something that doesn't sound bad, but somebody with better hearing than you or me have perceived the underlying racism in that. And I hope you can appreciate the sarcasm in my voice. Yep. That so, the listener determines that notwithstanding you said nothing objectively uh, uh, racist, they've been able to uncover the hidden racism that is in your heart and in your statements. And you should be subject to sanction as a consequence. That's the microaggression punishment sanction, of course. And that's the horror of this left-wing, anti-free speech, mind-control agenda. Yeah, think about this. A student could be sitting in a classroom, could be defending something or, or challenging something and say something that one other student within the classroom finds as a microaggression and make his case. And if the university agrees with them, could expel or just throw the, you know, throw the, suspend the person uh, from that class or from the university itself one time. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. See, that's, 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 that's crazy because microaggressions change daily. Well, th that's the thing. They are wholly subjective. And by that, I mean that the listener not the speaker, determines the intention of the speaker. Mm -hmm. That is, Dave Ellswick, you said two plus two is four. I, Rob Steinbuck, have determined that by saying that, you are really, what you're doing is crypto uh, um, uh, manifesting, meaning hidden manifesting a racist, anti-Semitic belief. And by saying two plus two is four, what you're really saying is you hate Jews, Dave. And I'm offended. You should be off the air. Now, of course, all of that's make-believe nonsense, right? Of course. But that's the point, is that because you said something that I've determined is somehow racist, even though on its face it's not, you should be punished. That is 1984 George Orwell speak entirely. Yeah, but not entirely. not not only is it George Orwell speak, it, it's multiplied a hundred times. 
I mean, exactly. even Orwell didn't see right? it being right. that bad. Exactly. The irony is uh, or- Orwell writes this satire in 1948 about the rise of communism. And the truth is he downplayed what's happening in the modern era. Mm-hmm. He downplayed this pernicious attack on freedom of thought, on freedom of expression, even when uh, uh, that expression should be wholly protected by our sovereign First Amendment. It's no accident, in all sincerity, in all seriousness, it's no accident that the First Amendment comes first, meaning the drafters of the Constitution put it first out of its importance. Right. And yeah. yet the leftists are unconcerned about the content, excuse me, about the placement of the First Amendment or what it actually says. Well, the left has become exceedingly more and more dangerous about this stuff uh, as we go along. I mean, we've moved from safe places all the way up now to where uh, another student in a classroom or maybe not even in the classroom, outside the classroom, heard somebody say something in a classroom that they found offensive. That yeah, is you, dangerous. You you really do bring up a very important point with that comment, Dave, and that is many times when we look across the country at the events that have been occurring, the complaints are coming from people not in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So they can't hear the context. They may not even have the words down accurately. And these complaints get traction amongst the leftists who are dominating academia now. You know, we talk all the time about diversity in academia, but we don't talk about diversity of thought. Yeah, that's very important. Of course it is. It's, that's the irony of all this, is that the claims for diversity must ultimately uh, result in diversity of thought, meaning there's no legitimacy to a claim of diversity because one person has pink hair and one person has blue hair. It's irrelevant, right? The notion of diversity is to get diverse viewpoints. And the left has made this claim, yet when the right says, oh, okay, do you have any method of actually ensuring diverse viewpoints? Because there's such an overwhelming number of leftists compared to conservatives uh, on faculties at universities. They say no. They say no, absolutely not. And they see no problem with the fact that there is this nine to one ratio at best of, conser- of, of liberals to conservatives on faculties. No, it's just coincidence. No, it's all self-selection. When would they ever accept that argument in any other context? Yeah, I, I, I really, I worry because let, let's take the last two things that we've been talking about uh, seriously on college campuses. One yep. is what's happening at the U of A. Two, yep. this one is at Ole Miss. Both right. are in red states that supposedly are conservative. That's and right. people are allowing this stuff to happen. That's right. Well, look, we've talked about it on the radio before. Remember, I published an article in a law journal at the University of Texas. So, in other words, not a fly-by-night school, not one of these 
fourth-tier for-profit schools, a top-tier law school, and it was I co-authored the piece with what turns out to be a, a liberal. She happens to be a liberal. It doesn't matter because we discussed facts, not politics. Right. And the facts dealt with differences and admissions across racial categories at law school, right? And and what the results, the sometimes tragic results of that. And then I had some law professors say, I shouldn't be able to grade my exam because of what I wrote in this article. Implication being that something I said was improper relative to the races. By the way, as it turns out, my exams in those classes were multiple choice. So they made all sorts of claims about me being able to read handwriting when the students were circling answers. And this got some traction to the credit of the then provost. She evaluated the whole thing and threw it out, threw it out, said there was no legitimacy to the claim. But it went all the way up because these other people buy into this same notion of we will determine what your intentions are. And but in the beauty in my case was they literally were complaining about um, actually, they were complaining about my lawsuit uh, that 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 produced the data for my article. Mm-hmm. So even more narrowly tailored, and they were saying what he said in his lawsuit uh, might upset people. And the lawsuit was was a relatively short document, and all of the statements are there for the public to review. So there was no dispute even as to what was being said. And then later, and this is why I was confused. Remember, oh, no, no, it wasn't the lawsuit. It was the article. So you might say, well, why would they switch from the lawsuit to the article? Because they recognize that the First Amendment protects my ability to what's called petition government. That means quite literally to file a lawsuit. What they didn't recognize, this is the irony of it all, is that it also protects my freedom to, of expression, my freedom of press. So my freedom to publish the article is on equal footing with my freedom to uh, file a lawsuit. And they thought that they would have more ability to discriminate against my comments and to discriminate against me because... It, uh, they claimed it was an article and not a um, a lawsuit. Doesn't matter. Doesn't right. make a difference. A lick of difference. All right. Twenty four minutes after five. Robert Steinbach is our guest. His opinions are his and his alone, and do not necessarily reflect that of the UA Little Rock or the Bowen School of Law. We'll come back. We're going to talk some more. We're going to get into a, a discussion about uh, the president and his Jerusalem decision and what's happening. With the folks uh, in the Palestinian Authority, used to be called the PLO. We'll talk about that as well. That's all coming our way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about Aero Plumbing. Aero Plumbing is the plumbing uh, business you should call if you have a plumbing problem. I'm going to give you some reasons why. One, technology. They have the technology to fix what you have that's gone wrong, especially if it's uh, like... uh, a a leak underneath your business underneath the parking lot and somebody else is going to come in and they say, well, we can fix it, but we're going to have to dig up your parking lot. Arrow doesn't have to do that. They can burrow under your parking lot and still fix the leak. They can do that at your house. Last thing you want to hear at 
that you got to have done at your house is somebody to start chiseling and uh, ha- jackhammering their way through, uh, you know, your uh, slab. Well, they can go underneath your house, burrow underneath your house with their technology and fix it. If you live over in one of the heritage areas and you got iron pipes around, you know that they've been cracking. And uh, the cost of replacing those pipes is exorbitant. Well, with Aero Plumbing, they can go in and they have a way of closing off of those cracks by inserting uh, technology and taking care of it. You need to call them, take care of it with Aero Plumbing. And then they have the people to do the work. That's Aero Plumbing. Uh, Use uh, Google, go to Aero Plumbing, or go to their website, aeroplumbing.net. All right, back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're getting close uh, to the uh, bottom of the hour in Fox News. You know, Robert, when we come back, we got to talk about a boss. That's something we have got to dis, uh, uh, discuss Absolutely. because basically today uh, he said that if the United States tried to lead any effort towards uh, uh, peace talks, they would have nothing to do with it. They they seem to me, uh, according to a boss, to completely say uh, we'll have nothing to do with the Oslo Accords, which started back in well, about 1993, I think. That's when Yasser Arafat was around. That's right. That's right. Hey, listen, they're entitled to make whatever decisions they want, but they have to live with the consequences consequences of those decisions. You're right. And we're going to talk about when we come back. We'll also talk about that professor and the deplorables. We have to talk about that as well. Our guest is Robert Steinbach. Remember that uh, he works over at the Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone. Do not reflect the school or the uh, University of uh, Arkansas here in Little Rock. Here's Fox News. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, Rob Steinbach, of course, Robert Steinbach is our guest. I guess I should call him Professor Robert Steinbach. He works here at uh, the Bowen School of Law. He is a legal professor. Uh, That's, of course, uh, Bowen School of Law, part of uh, the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Keep in mind that his opinions are his and his alone and do not reflect those of the school or the university. They are his opinions. Let's go to this article uh, that we got from the New York Times. President uh, Mohammed Abbas of the Palestinian Authority said yesterday that Israel had killed the Oslo Accords and angrily assailed the Trump administration over its handling of the conflict. He vowed to reject American leadership of any new peace talks and urged Palestinians to reconsider their signed agreements with Israel. Quote, we will not accept in or for the U.S. to be a, a mediator because after what they have done to us, a believer shall not be stung twice in the same place, Mr. Abbas said. The deal of the century is the slap of the century, he added, mocking the still undefined peace initiatives that the Trump administration has been working on and promoting in the region. However, uh, we'll get back at them. Now, that, that's, a direct, that's, a, that's a direct threat to us. We'll get back at you. Uh, I mean, the, the Palestinian Authority is nothing more than PLO, which was a terrorist uh, organization under, under Arafat. Now you got Hamas and, and you got Hezbollah. 
uh, involved in this as well. All this goes back to the, what is it, UN Security Council Resolutions 242 and 338, uh, started in 1993, and I think they, uh, the second time they went around was in 1998, uh, 93 and 98. Nothing's been happening, Robert. There's nothing been happening, and all Trump has done now is stir the pot to maybe, you know, you can't have living water unless the water is moving. Maybe he's getting the move, the movement of the water going. Indeed, and indeed it's more than that. Let me read an additional section from that same New York Times article. <clears throat> Testing his audience's attention, Mr. Boss also gave a lengthy history lecture reaching back to the 17th century saying that Oliver Cromwell at first proposed uh, shipping European Jews to the Holy Land before tracing the beginning of the Zionist movement to what he called the 19th century journalist and activist Theodore Herzl's effort to, quote, wipe out Palestinians from Palestine, end quote. Now, next, quote, this is a boss. This is a colonial enterprise that has nothing to do with Jewishness, end quote. <laughs> so so let's, let's recap. A boss is saying that the state of Israel has nothing to do, the Holy Land, the undisputed uh, birthplace of Judaism has nothing to do with Jews. At the same time that he's saying that the Western Wall, the holiest site for Jews on the earth, should be in a state of Palestine. So put those two together. And do you think that Jews will have the right to go to their holiest site in a foreign country called Palestine when the president of that would-be country doesn't think that the state of Israel or the, the holiest sites in the religion of Judaism have anything to do with Jewishness? Of course not. And that's the difference between what happens when the Palestinians or other Arabs rule over holy sites, Jewish sites, and when Jews rule over both Jewish and Muslim sites. So between 48 and 67, 1948 and 1967, Israel didn't have control of Jerusalem. Jordan did. Jordan beat Israel for that land mm -hmm. and took that land in the 48 war, and not a Jew got to go into the Western Wall, the holiest site for Jews, until 1967. Incidentally, my uncle was one of the first ones to do so because he was in the military at the time. Uh, so don't kid yourself in thinking that Jews uh, will be treated with equality under the Palestinian rule of Jerusalem should they get it. Moreover, what, is, what did Trump do? He recognized what every Democrat and Republican president in the modern era has recognized, that Jerusalem is the capital. Yeah, the since the 90s. Exactly. The only difference, of course, is unlike all of those previous presidents, Republican and Democrat alike, mm -hmm. he actually did something. He didn't BS. He didn't say one thing during the campaign and do another thing. Well, not only not only thing. said one thing and did another, but said one thing do, knowing that he was going to do the That's other. That's right. 
Well, that's right. He didn't lie to the American public. That's right. Uh, so the, the press likes to call Trump a liar, uh, and they don't highlight the fact that out of the past, what, uh, five uh, um, uh, um, elections, he's the only one who's kept his word on what would happen with Jerusalem. All the others made promises, and those promises were full of hot air. Yeah. Trump fulfilled the promise, not his promise, albeit also his promise. He fulfilled Clinton's promise. He, he fulfilled uh, George W. Bush's promise, and he fulfilled Obama's promises. Mm -hmm. So the liberals should be thanking, should be thanking President Trump for fulfilling uh, Clinton, at least Clinton and uh, Obama's promises. And so for both of the political parties, because That's they right. made it law. That's right. In, in 93 or so. Exactly. Yeah, 93. They made a law that said, we shall move the, the, the embassy to Jerusalem. And in the law, they said, but this can be put off for security reasons. And the intention of that of that delaying procedure was not a permanent delay. No. And yet every president prior to Trump permanently delayed that. And that is an undermining of the legislature and an undermining of the law. And Trump has been the only president who's shown fidelity to that law. Well, I find it interesting that later on in the story, uh, Mr. Abbas confirmed a report that the Palestinians had been told that they would be offered the East Jerusalem neighborhood of Abu Dis. I don't know. I don't know if D-I-S is Dis or Das, right, but, right. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce which, it which no. they already control as the capital of a future, a future state. And Abbas says, we are in a fateful moment of history. If we lose Jerusalem, now, wait a second. They've been offered an East Jerusalem neighborhood. So, They've not lost all of Jerusalem. If we lose Jerusalem, what do you want us to do? Have a state with Abu Dis as its capital? This is what they're offering now, Abu Dis. So what's big? What's wrong with that? You know, make your get your state put together and uh, become a, you know a proper state. Take care of your people, build your economy, and people will look at Abu Dis as uh, a great capital. Absolutely. Look, I don't know what the delineation of a Palestinian state would wind up looking like, where the capital will be, all of these things. What I do know are some simple truths, that there is a Jewish state of Israel, Yes. that its capital is Jerusalem. And has been United, since the time of David. Exactly. The United States has uh, formally recognized what uh, two prior Democratic and one prior Republican president have also recognized, as well as the Congress and Senate, by the way, by an overwhelming vote. Um, and so <clears throat> it's time that if the Palestinians want to move ahead, they do so in a reasonable, rational way. If they don't want to, no one can make them. I don't know what to tell you, but there are some truths that can't be changed. And the, the largest problem in having a resolution between Israel and the Palestinians is that, that there's too large a movement amongst Palestinians wherein they want to de facto destroy the state of Israel, and they explicitly want the, to deny the state of Israel its existing 
capital in Jerusalem. Well, you can't deal with uh, the Palestinian Authority. You can't deal with the Palestinians because their government is run by Hamas. But half of it, right? Half. That's the other interesting fact that they have two separate governments. There, there are two geographies of the, of the Palestinian, shall we call them territories? I think is the term generally used. There's the the West Bank and there's Gaza Strip. Those are non-contiguous. Those are not. Uh, that's it's like Alaska in the United States. There's land between the two. So the government that controls the Gaza Strip is Hamas, and the government that controls the West Bank is the Palestinian Authority, and they don't get along with each other at all. No, they so don't. They don't even have a functioning government. So it's it's kind of hard to enter into any serious negotiations with uh, the Palestinians when they don't have a functioning government, effectively a functioning government. Uh, but that's for them to fix. Uh, but the, the claims that are being made, and now this most recent claim, that the Holy Land, and that's his language, not my language, yeah. the Holy Land is unrelated to Jewishness. Well, what makes it holy <laughs> if not its Jewishness? That's what made it holy, was God's grant of the land to the Jewish people. So that's call it something else. Don't call it the Holy Land if you're if you're not going to recognize its connected its connection to the Jewish people because that's what made it holy. My yeah. goodness, it's it's there's such a lack of of logic to the claims that are being made that I don't even know at times how to respond to them. Well, the bottom line is is just like the Democrats are not really serious about DACA. The Palestinian problem, uh, as far as Hamas and the Palestinian Authority, are not really serious about their own homeland. Well, can I add a point? You know, in these negotiations, yeah. the, the Palestinians consistently repeat a claim of a quote, put it in quotes, put in italics, and, and try not to giggle, a right to return. So you go, oh, okay, well, that means, I guess maybe there are Palestinians living in, say, Tunisia, and they would want to come to, say, the West Bank after the West Bank is established as Palestine. No! That's not what this so-called right of return is at all. They say after they establish a state of Palestine in roughly the West Bank and Gaza, that Palestinians can move into the land of Israel, Haifa, Tel Aviv, the cities within the state proper of Israel, Palestinians not living there now. Wait, what? So you mean the day after you create a Palestinian state, you want a right for those people currently living in that area to move into some other country? That's just bonkers. Yeah, that's I, can't even, I can't even get my head around that, that claim to logic. There's no logic there at all. The, the logic is, well, we want to create a state of Palestine, and then we want to flood the separate country that we will now for the first time recognize with our residents so as to take over that country uh, demographically and vote out their majorities. Well, it doesn't make any sense. Well, of and course, so, and that's why we're in, the, we're in the boondoggle thing that we've got going right now. It's right. all BS. That's right. That's why we're in the stalemate. That's exactly right. We're in the stalemate because the the claims being made regarding the creation of a Palestinian state are so fundamentally flawed that there's no opportunity 
until some of those claims are altered to move forward. There's just no opportunity. Robert Steinbach is our our uh, guest. He'll be with us here when we come back. We've got one more uh, segment coming up. Don't forget about New Balance. New Balance Shoe Store on Highway 10, or Cantrell, as we like to call it, uh, does the following. They measure your feet digitally so you'll know exactly how long they are, how wide they are. That makes sure that you will get the most comfortable shoe that you can put on your foot, for whether it's at work or it's for going out and working out or just knocking around in, going shopping or whatever. They uh, stock children's shoes, an extra wide width, uh, so that your children will get comfortable shoes as well. And for men and women, New Balance uh, shoes, stock shoes in 2A narrow all the way up to 6E wide. They cover just about everybody, I believe. It's the only New Balance store in Little Rock that makes custom footbeds. They make sure not only that you've got the right size, the, white, or the right width, but if you've got a high arch, they're going to help you out there, or a low arch, they're going to help you out. They'll give you ultimate comfort. That's at the New Balance Shoe Store, Highway 10, West Little Rock. Back with you, last segment, Robert Steinbach, our guest here in this final hour, as he is each and uh, just about every Monday on the Dave Ellswick Show. Remember, he is a professor of law at uh, the Bowen School of Law over at the University of Arkansas, Little Rock, and his opinions are his alone, and none of those opinions uh, should be taken to be the opinion of the school or the school of law. Final story. The New York post uh, has reported that the politically incorrect New York university professor accused of incivility. Remember that name, that, that term, we've got that term going on at the U of a, uh, by liberal colleagues and put on leave is now suing the college and four fellow professors for calling him everything from a drug addict to Satan. The malicious statements appeared in an email thread that blasted out over five days in May uh, from school accounts to more than 100 university staffers claims a defamation lawsuit filed Friday. The, The professor blames NYU for doing nothing to stop the nasty screed that according to papers filed in Manhattan Supreme Court Rector Wall, the professor, 58, told the Post that the 20 hateful emails turned his once pleasant academic life into a nightmare and might torpedo his career. I've been universally shunned by the entire department, the liberal studies professor said. In academia, to be called called a racist and a sexist is like the kiss of death. So, Robert, what say you? Well, as you point out, we come full circle, Dave, right? The issue that's going on right now in the University of Arkansas is whether or not they are going to cut back on the academic freedom and tenure rights of professors, and they want to be able to go after people for incivility. What was this guy's incivility? Being a conservative. And that's what I keep telling folks, particularly conservatives, when they are somewhat hesitant about tenure, tenure protects conservatives today because conservatives are the minority and tenure protects the minority whatever that group happens to be and in academia that's not liberals that's conservatives so 
they come after you and they say, oh, we're not going after you for your viewpoint. We're going after you because of civility or collegiality or any other one of these synonyms. And that's exactly what is attempting to be put into the, the, the rules for the whole University of Arkansas system right now is to remove a the ability for me, for example, to come on your show because they want to remove all protections for what's known as service, which is a word that, that, that in the context of academia quite literally means coming on the radio. That means speaking to the public, i.e. public service. And they want to be able to fire you for not being civil or not being collegial or not being cooperative with your colleagues or some other synonym for not agreeing with the dogma, not having gone to the re-education camp, not being of the left-wing um, mindset, not growing up in the one acceptable belief system that is allowed on university campuses, i.e., liberalism yeah i thought was, thought it was an inter- interesting we got a minute left here yep. is that uh the professor had an anonymous uh twitter account and then he outed himself and when he did he was attacked viciously uh by the left at the university and uh this is the stuff that could happen at the university of arkansas it's very simple Absolutely. if they move in the direction that they had shown that they wanted to move i hope that this is a tale of what could happen and not a tale of what will happen. Robert, we'll we're out. see what happens at the next board meeting. So keep it, keep up the uh, communication. We'll keep it up. We appreciate yeah. you, Robert. We'll get with you again next, next Monday. We might get two inches of snow. Everybody's freaking out here in the state of Arkansas. So, uh, let me get talk to them and kind of calm them down before I let them go today. You have a great God evening. Mm, bye-bye. Now. All right. So Robert Steinbach here on the Dave Ellswick show. We're out of time. I will join you again tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Uh, depending on the weather, power panel should be here, as well as the Bible guys. You got a Bible question? Guys at SalemLR.com. Have a good evening. See you tomorrow. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.